Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of For All You Kids Out There, a Mets Adjacent Baseball Prospectus Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostra. With me once again this week is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, I figured we would just clean out the inbox this week because surely the Mets would not do anything before we record it again. That's done several things. The Mets have done several things. You have donned a uh, Nautica quarter zip, and you are ready to attempt to start and pill the rest of the zips. audience. I wear Old Navy quarter zips. Eh, fair on, enough, sure. All right, all, right, all right, there you go. You're, you're not making that AGM money yet. <laughs> could, could launch into a front office hiring money thing there. Yeah, yeah sure. Well. That's why I said AGM. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Jarrett. Uh, regale listeners with the tales of the genius Mets offseason in the past week. I think over the last 72 hours, the Mets have made two of the best signings of this offseason. Um... They signed Sean Mania. I've been. This is this is Sean for all you kids out there, not like messed up or something. By the way. Yeah, um, I've been plugging Sean Mania. Uh-huh, you have, yeah. So Sean Sean Mania, despite his track record, his tag of being injury prone, dating back to the draft and when he was a Royals prospect, has for the most part, except for 2019, established himself over the course of his Oakland career and then his uh, career. He's he's turned into like the veteran journeyman. Yeah, the one year guy. Yeah, for yeah, one two years with an opt out, innings eater. Um, you know, decent third fourth starter type pitcher. Um, so so now that was the case as of the twenty two twenty three off season. Um, and then he went to drive line in the twenty two twenty three off season and added a lot of velocity. And signed a one-in-one deal with the Giants. And then the Giants, he had a lot of velocity. And the Giants put him in a nonsensical pitching role. Um, early in the season, he had trouble with his pitch mix. Because he basically stopped throwing. He was primary sinker guy. switched to a primary four-seam guy. And he switched to a primary four-seam up-in-the-zone velocity guy. And it did not tunnel well with the rest of his arsenal, which was very change-up heavy, and he was thrown like one of these. Like, this is like the 55-grade slider that we've called the 55-grade slider since the beginning of time. It's actually a four-slider because it just is. It's just like the nothing-happening, medium-whiff. It's probably a four, like it's probably a, it's probably a forty-five slider. Like he gets close to, but not thirty percent whiff. He gets okay chase. So, like, the Giants, who did some really weird shit last year in general, put him in this weird hybrid, mostly bulk guy, long reliever, follower behind an opener. Tyler J in college. Right. Just, like, this really weird role. And he did not pitch well early in the season. Um, Around midseason, he started throwing a sweeper. Uh and so now you've got a guy, and the sweeper was essentially immediately his best secondary pitch. Um, he junked the slider, which has not been a particularly effective pitch for him over the course of his career, replaced it with the sweeper. The sweeper got well above average whiff rates and was a big velocity suppressor. He's had, he's always had a sweeper. He just didn't throw it much. It's a new sweeper. It's it's a new grip. Is it's, it? I mean, it's, it, it, I'm it, looking it, at, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, it, I'm looking at the, like, the metrics on it the movement and the spin is fairly similar i don't i believe you that it's a new grip but so 
he it's a little firmer i guess from the point where he junks the slider and starts starting the sweeper he's a top 10 pitcher in baseball uh, a lot of that is in middle long relief. They did in their playoff run in September put him back in the rotation. He made four brilliant starts down the stretch. Um, many of the smartest people He's got a I little talk- more vertical movement, but not much. But otherwise, it's the same basic shape. Many of the smartest people I talked to in baseball, yeah, the quarter zips, <laughs> thought this guy was the third or fourth best pitcher on the market. Some thought he was. I don't think I, I did not talk to anybody that had him above Yamamoto and Snow. I have talked to people that had him above Montgomery, mm-hmm. um, and this is obviously a sixth of the cost that Montgomery is going to cost, and does not lock you into 2029. This is a one in one deal. It's a player option for the second year. Um, this is very similar to the Rangers signing Andrew Heaney last off season. Which had a below median outcome for them. He not, he opted in, and he was still a perfectly adequate fourth starter. Because again, the base track record for Sean Mania, which is also the contract he got, is basically fourth starter. Um, he's an obviously better pitcher than Lucas Giolito. This is good. Jeffrey's going to go nuts. No, I think that's fine. I'm not. Um, he's an obviously better pitcher than most of the pitchers who are going to get this type of contract. There was a lot of interest in him in this. Uh, my strong suspicion is that he was demanding a lockdown starting spot, at least in year one, because he was pretty publicly not happy at his usage last year. I mean, look, he has been exactly a league average pitcher by ERA plus for his career. Right. This is a guy who... This is a guy with a pretty high floor and an extremely high upside. This is... So, this is a different level of signing, and it's a reliever versus a starter. The the Giants... The, uh, excuse me, not the Giants, the Dodgers um, signed Shelby Miller last year, who mm-hmm. had a long track record of being Shelby Miller, yeah. and then completely remade his arsenal, and they gave him a decent guarantee based off of what was essentially 10 innings which weren't even good innings. Seven innings. Yeah, in which he looked completely different in terms of pitch rates. And that's where we're at with Mania. You, you're going to see this contract evaluated by the majority of mainstream baseball media as if he's the same sinker change guy. Or guy that he was last year. Right. Um, you've already seen those takes going around. I mean, he essentially has the exact... I'm guessing he is the exact same. He threw fewer innings, but has probably the exact same composite ERA over the last two years as Lucas Giolito. Correct. Yeah. And if you are... Look, I get it. A lot of fans, frankly, a lot of baseball writers do the back of the baseball card stuff, right? 4.44 um, ERA, 117 innings pitched last year. Like, the peripherals were fine. Like, his and, FIP and was a full half run better than that, if you're going to look at FIP, which... Giolito has the back of a baseball card of a guy who's made all-star games yeah. and has been a number two starter in the past, and Sean Maniah does not. But if you're evaluating pitchers in a modern, forward-thinking way, along the lines of the best front offices, Maniah mm-hmm. um, is just way better. He does important things better. You cannot evaluate it 
paying guys based on what they've done recently is stupid. It's what stupid teams do. It's actually what like the middle teams do. Right. This is like this is the parabola, right? So like the behind teams are gonna go, yeah, Shaman Knight eats innings, and they might look at his FIP because he's always you know his FIP last year was yeah. better than his was better than his ERA, and then like the middle teams are gonna go well. Well, we want a guy that has like you know, IVB. We want we're, we're gonna check this jump by his IVB, and we're gonna we're gonna look at this, and we're gonna look at that, and we're gonna look at the overall course of his season because the, the other parts are gonna smooth out. The really smart teams are going, hey, wait a minute, this guy changed his pitch mix in season. Like this guy was doing pitch design stuff with this Brian is, Bannister is, in yeah. June. This right? is Justin so, Turner had three good weeks at the end of the season before the Mets. Not entitled right. him, yeah. So this this, yeah. Right, so this is... Or the Daniel Murphy contract with the Nats, too. Because enough teams are still stuck in 2019 and are still trying to look at full season, not looking at individualized traits over shorter periods of time, trying to find the breakout, he's still going to get paid essentially only a small premium off... And you can tell because he basically got the same contract he got last year with a 15% premium. It's the exact same deal. It's a one-on-one deal, and that's that's a little more than the season-to-season inflation, but not much. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if you look, if you take a very close look, if you start looking month by month, start by start, start looking at what was actually going on here, there's early signs that this guy was emerging into a number two starter. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to, but you've sometimes got guy... you just, Sometimes you just have a good month. You wouldn't be doing this in having a good... You can't accidentally start throwing a good sweeper sure. over a period of time. But I'm time. saying the production might overstate how good that pitch is. I don't think that's true either. Right? Um, you, you can't accidentally start throwing two miles an hour hard. Sure. Um, you can't, th- these are things you can't do by at, and if you start, you can see the outlines here of a number two starter and you've got this guy on a price where if he's a number four starter or he gets hurt, it's not the end. Of- Look, if he's terrible and gets hurt, he has experience in a lefty long relief utility is stick him there in 2025. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's too much money. Who cares? Whatever. It's not costing you the utility of saying, in 2028, when Jordan Montgomery is shot, we still got to put Jordan Montgomery in our rotation for 30 starts because he's under contract for three more years. Right. We're blocking, uh, fuck, I don't know. They signed up. Jonah Tong. Sure, Jonah Tong. It's not going to be Jonah Tong, but right. sure, but it's, Jonah it's, Tong, yeah. yeah. Uh, right. And, and the Mets were very well positioned to add these upside guys because they have a AAA rotation that is going to be comprised, and again, some of these guys... And their number two starter is Jose Quintana, so they can just guarantee him a starting role. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they should trade Quintana. Yeah, we know. That's, we uh, know. Quintana, again, Quintana's the, Quintana's the... He has shiny ERA last year, so mm. if you trade him, the fan base is going to go nuts because he... Oh, he, he went out there and shoved for the 2023 Mets. No, he didn't. He had a fluky low home run rate, mm. which is supported by absolutely nothing. He gave up more fly balls and more pulled fly balls at his historical exit velocity and launch angle means. What what happens when you give up hmm. more pulled fly balls at the same exit velocity, Jeffrey? Uh, usually you give up more home runs. 
Right. So if you're not giving up more home runs and it's over like a 60 inning sample size, what do you think that was? Uh, random variation. Yeah. So they should. Now, the problem is that other teams have analysts, too. Yes. So you have to find it. I like that we've updated that. Right. You have to. Scouts, though. Mm. Um, you have to find. It's 2024, baby. It's a brave right, new world. You have to have, find a team that's willing to trade you a top 150 or a top 200 prospect for Jose Quintana, which demonstrably requires. The Texas that, Rangers. Right. If you assume that Jose Quintana and Adrian Hauser are the same pitcher, mm-hmm. the Mets just got each, which, you know, they are, um, and also at the same point in the curve, and also Quintana is more expensive than Hauser. Um, if you assume that they're roughly the same pitcher, Adrian Hauser just got traded to the Mets for a guy that went through Rule 5 and will miss the entire season with a blown-out elbow, and they had to throw in a good fourth outfielder with three years of team control to get that guy. I mean, to be fair, the Brewers were mostly trying to dump money there. Right, but most of the teams that are stupid in this particular way are also not are also spendthrift. Sure, right. Um, so what you really need to do is you need to find a team not only that sees Quintana as a sub-4 ERA guy, but also a team that has a good prospect that they do not realize is a good prospect. It's a tough fit. It's a tough thing to, it's mm. a tough thing to actually get what you want to do out of there. And there's also the argument if the Quintana throws like 60 more good innings in the first half and you're out of it, you can trade them for even more. Sure. Teams get really irrational about that shit at the deadline. Um, as you saw with the, you know, Jordan Montgomery getting traded for two top punter prospects. I mean, at worst, it can probably be like Michael Lorenzen for how you leave for somebody. Sure. Um, yeah, and like, yeah, basically the exact same, yeah, same idea. Um, so that's a player that could could pick up more money, put could pick up a better prospect at the deadline, especially if you're willing to eat the rest of the season salary. Mm-hmm. Or he could just be in your rotation. He's not really the number two starter here, Manaya sure. is. But, um, you know, if you're projecting forward to 2024 performance as opposed to looking back at... Sure, I'm just saying when Manaya signed, they could guarantee him a spot because they did not have... Right, a ton yes. Of, yeah. Yes, that's not, a, that's not a difficult thing. You're, you're going to... Whereas, you know, the Giants, you know, they one of the teams that were interested they've got Robbie Ray now coming back in the sure. second half at some point you sure. know, other, other smart like uh, usually uh, teams that are good at this have a lot of pitching <laughs> right the Dodgers do not have the yeah. spot to guarantee yeah. him um, the Rays you know this is this is actually pretty similar to all ways to what the Rays did with Zach Eflin last year right yeah um, Zach Eflin's better right Eflin had a he also got more money yeah, I'm playing on money. He had a higher. I don't say a, he had a higher floor. As a, he had a previously higher floor as a right, but it's the same kind of idea where you've got this guy mm-hmm. who um, has kind of bounced around a little bit and hasn't been a top end starter for very long. Was coming off this weird swing season in Philly. Some teams looked at him as a reliever, but in the weird swing season, he'd shown significant trait jumps. Yeah, and he obviously had his fair share of, like, durability concerns, too. And the Rays were just like, fuck this, this is the guy. Gave Mm -hmm. him what was widely considered an overmarket contract, and he got Cy Young votes. Yeah. Um, That's, you know, that's actually probably the best comp for this contract, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, So... This it, and you notice the two contracts I'm comping here were signed by the Dodgers and the Rays. This right. is what the really smart pitching teams do. Mm-hmm. The really smart pitching teams 
when you have the floor of developmental guys, it makes it easier to do this. But the Mets low-key actually have that right now, which I think is an important part of this. You've got Jose Budo, who jump in the cutter, I think now projects as the number four starter, probably. I mean, it's, look, he can get there. I don't know if he's going to, but he can get there now, yes. It's pretty much major league ready, so you got him. I mean, based where he ranked him on the Mets prospect list, he's on P50, so. But, yeah. Right. You've got Christian Scott. Christian Scott's probably going to be ready by midseason. Yeah. Um, Christian Scott's one of the best fastballs in the entire minor leagues. Uh, has a really good changeup now. Slider's fine. Got to work on that slider shape. I think that slider shape's going to get there. It's fine. I would not. Yeah. I would not be surprised if that slider shape is the next improvement in 2024. Um, you got Mike Vassell. Mike Vassell's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Mike Vassell takes starts for you. That's fine. Yeah. Right. Mike Vassell's going to throw innings in the majors this yep. year. You got Joey Lucchese. Joey Lucchese is a perfectly adequate number five starter. Yep. Um, you've got more guys coming too. You know, Blake Tidwell could be in this conversation by midseason. You're going to cap. You're hopeful. You're you're going to project that you're going to have another Scott-like breakout. And Scott, if he had stayed healthy in the Mets were in the race, probably would have been up last season. Um, so you can take, hey, maybe Minaya's not really this guy. Maybe his hip and his shoulder act up again. Hey, maybe Severino's actually cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take these shots and increasing your positive variance because there's outcomes – you know, if both Manaya and Severino are the guys that they think they are, all of a sudden you got three frontline starters heading to rotation. Sure. Um, along with Senga. So, you know, that's the, like, there's this narrative going around that the Mets are, like, building, like, a mediocre low-variance team. They're actually building, like... <laughs> mediocre and, and high-variance team. It's not even mediocre. Like, if you plug them into a depth chart, in a, into a standing depth chart right now, they're going to project as one of the wild cards. Sure, 85 they're building a, wins, Yeah, they're building, they're, a high, they're building a high... High-variance 85-win team. team. Yes, we know. Right. We know. <laughs> I, I would say a little better than that. But mm-hmm. that's that's the idea. And at that point, you especially if you already have the floor within your system... You want to increase that variance. You don't want to go sign Rich Hill. Right. Like you want to, you want to. Add, so now we're going to talk about Harrison Bader. Cause sure. Did, yeah. Go for it. It's on the offensive side too. Um, actually defensive more than no, that. Yeah. I was going to say, this is going to, this is going to help those. Pay, you know, so Sean and I is going to look a lot better with Harrison Bader running down fly balls and Sarah than Brandon Nimmo. All right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I signed Harrison Bader, and this con- everybody in Mets Twitter hated this contract. He's a Yankee, stunk class there, blah, 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 blah. Um, so we're going to talk about Harrison Bader and Jordan Montgomery got traded for each other one for one 18 months ago right. at the same point in their transactional tent. And the, for all the Mets people that wanted to sign Jordan Montgomery at that time, at, right now, at the time that trade was made, people thought that the Bader side of that trade was better. Mm-hmm. Um Harrison Bader is one of, if not the best defender in the entire sport. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, he has been over the last half decade, the best defensive outfielder in baseball by a pretty wide margin. Um, he has up until essentially the middle of last year been an adequate offensive player. I mean, he really, it was Ad- true then, but it is true now should never face a righty. Okay, so we're going to get there. Uh-huh. He's been an adequate offensive yes. player. He tried to play through an injury last year. It was sure. a really bad idea. Um, he was absolutely horrible down 
hmm. for the last three months of last season. He got his swing mechanics got fucked up by a hamstring injury. It happened. He was unable to write them. He ended up on waivers. It was a mess. Um, although it did not substantially affect his defense. It did a little, but um, which is interesting. I guess it, hamstring injuries can be weird sometimes. Sure. Um, so here's some stuff that's true about Harrison Bader. He destroys left-handed pitches. He does, yes. Um, he does okay against certain types of right-handed pitchers. Um, he has problems against righties with velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, he has problems against... Uh, he basically has problems against hard-throwing righty fastball slider guys. Right. Um, and outside of scenarios where you really want your best defensive alignment, he should never be taking a leverage to bat mm-hmm. against those guys. Um, the Mets seem to have really soured on Brandon Nimmo as a center fielder over the last six months. You saw it as recently as during the season where they were kicking him out to a corner spot. Mm-hmm. That, for the record, that makes that contract a really bad idea because yeah. that contract was premised on Brandon Nimmo being... Playing center fielder for like three years. Yeah, yeah, he does not have the offense to carry that contract. Brandon Nimmo is now going to be a problem for them in a couple. Yeah, of years. and we'll see. But that's yeah. yeah, because his if you follow I think him be... on a normal offensive aging curve, he's going to be a below-average corner outfielder like in a couple of years. And they yeah. signed him for eight. He's got seven years left. We know you love the looking at the sprint speed. His sprint speed the last three years: uh, ninety-two, eighty-four, sixty-six percent. Right. Early signs of physical decline. Yeah. This happens to players with this skill set in the yeah. He also he also did the thing last year where he started making less contact to sell it for power, which yeah. is another warning sign um, of players early decline. This Brandon Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo being guaranteed playing time until 2020, 2030, I think is twenty twenty nine. I think. 2020. That's going to be a problem sooner than you think, but yeah. that's a problem for another episode. Right. And I anyway. mean, he was still an average center fielder last year by OAA, which is slightly down from 21 and 22, but whatever. Right. But the Mets have clearly made the determination, made the determination. that he's not a center fielder anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is not. No, I, I think he's still going to play. This is an offensive profile that's not likely to age well. I think he's still going to play center field against a lot of righties, right? Like certain, he's not. Certain offering. Yeah. yeah. Sure, and he but... didn't look. Yes. Yes. He sold out for more power, but he basically Xeroxed his 2022 line plus 30 points of slugging. So we'll see how it plays out. Sure. Um, so instead of signing... They're also paying him $20 million a year. Like, it's not a high AAV. Again, this I'm not talking about the money. This is the, this is the thing that everybody misses. No, but I'm saying he's likely to be... It's the playing, playing, time. It's it's the the playing time, time, but he's likely, I think, to be at least an average regular. Right, but you want to be able to do better. If you are a long-term sustainable yes i mean by 20 yes by 2027 that might be fourth outfielder money anyway so right it's it's it was a feel-good contract and it's gonna age like a feel-good contract that's what it is you can go back and listen to our take on the brandon nemo contract at the time i think it was probably a little bit more rosy than it yeah because i didn't expect his i didn't expect his I didn't expect him to drop two grades of speed and two grades of defense in a mm. year. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, it's also, that contract makes a lot more sense for the 2023 version of the Mets who's going, 
money is a theoretical construct and has World <laughs> Series designs than it yeah. does for now. You're expecting the rest of his peakish years to be... Look, they're trying to get under the luxury tax in 25. That's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you want Pete Alonso to be a Met forever, that's probably a bad sign for you. Yeah. Um, you know, that's... That, they might not get that. Look, the Yankees spent a lot of time trying to get under the luxury tax and never actually did. The Dodgers did. Yes. Um, and there's, there's reset benefits to that, and... There's also benefits to being under the third tier of tax with the draft positioning, which sure. especially if you're not projecting a super great team. Look, what happened to the Mets last year was re- or this upcoming year, this past draft lottery is really bad for the system. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Mets farm system that's bad. You essentially cannot significantly miss the playoffs, not win the lottery, and be over the third tier. It's crushing to your farm system. Uh, for the record, their current projected forty-man CBT uh, CBT payroll for twenty twenty-five is one hundred and forty-one million. Right. Um, yeah. Which it's going to be more once the Manai contract gets in if he doesn't. Right. Yeah. Out, I don't think they... Bader's in here yet either. So, but he's not. For Bader's a one-year deal. Bader's yeah. one-year deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just looking to see. I they look. Have, they have some. They don't really have any art expensive. Arb guys for next year looking at it. So, look, I said this around when they signed Yamamoto. They didn't sign Yamamoto and chose mm-hmm. not to go after Otani very hard. It does not make sense for them. And if you read very closely the Max Scherzer comments, he gave 25 as the date where they'd start ramping up, but gave 26 as the target year. And if you look at it, it makes a lot of sense for them to try and reset the luxury tax in 25. It's not just Pete Alonso is a free agent and they're signing all of these one-year deals. All of this retained money comes off of their books except right. for Verlander. Verlander triggers the ops. Are they still paying Cano this year, too? They are, yeah. Yeah, I thought they were, yeah. I mean, um, it's only like $15 because the Mariners right. are also paying some of it, but yeah. Right, yeah, like all of this retained money goes bye-bye. Um, so that's, you know, that's it, it is what it is. There's Baseball, it is, in, it is indeed what it is, yes. Uh, but, you know, you look at Harrison Bader's fit. Um, they needed, we talked about this with when we thought it was going to be Tyrone Taylor in this role. Um, they are overly left-handed. Uh, they need somebody that can hit righties. Or, excuse me, that hits righty, that can hit lefties. Mm-hmm. And they needed a really good outfield defender because this outfield defense, other than Harrison Bader is going to fucking suck. Like, it just is. Marte, last year... Well, I don't even know how to describe Starling Marte's defense last year. Um, one of two things was true. He was so physically compromised, he shouldn't have been in the outfielder. He was giving no effort. I don't know which one. It sounds like it was the physical compromise. I mean, I watched... They've been posting a lot of clips of him getting hits in the... And Lee Dom, and that does not, he does not look like he's running like a man that has both of his groins working right now, still. Yeah, so. I mean, look, these are, he has suffered serious core injuries. Yeah, this is like, this is, again, it's great, significant groin surgery for, right. uh, not as, for like what's a, in some ways, a speed based player. And to be clear, I don't think this is an effort problem with right, him. Yeah. I think it's he can't I run. I think he can't run. Yeah. Right, I think he physically can't run. 
um, or he could only do so in short bursts and yeah. short periods of time and was picking his spots. Uh, Nimmo's center field defense went backwards last year. I think he'll be uh, fine in left. He's always been fine in left. DJ Stewart in a corner. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, Look, McNeil's going to play some out there. He's a good corner outfielder. Yeah, he's okay. But they've talked about not wanting him to play out there very As much. much yeah. Um, you know, you start getting, you know, Roddy Mauricio's corner outfield forays have been a disaster. Hey, Brett, Brett Beatty has played some corner outfield as is Mark Vientos. Okay, Vientos <laughs> looks like he has two left feet out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no real outfield. I guess it's Drew Gilbert, right? It's when is Drew yeah, Gilbert it's, ready? Yeah, it's Drew Gilbert and Jet Williams yeah. is the actual outfield depth here. And look, Drew Gilbert's probably going to be... Drew Gilbert is going to take a bat for the 2024 Mets. Yeah, he's probably going to be a starting outfielder by, for the Mets by July or August, unless his development goes badly or the Nimmo Bader Marte outfield starts playing like it's 2020 again. Right. Both of which possible sure. 2021, I guess. Um, you know, so you, you look at Harrison Bader, and if you can find the right. 500 at bats for him and you can keep him healthy it can be a four-run player for you. he's been a four-run player before sure again i think that like skills are there we have to like and this applies to manaya as well yeah. we have to circle back to the mets coaching staff because i'm not convinced they put the coaching staff together that can manage this roster yeah, I mean, we're going to find out a lot we're about find out whether real quick, yeah. Carlos Mendoza is capable of managing these type of players. You, yeah. know? You, you know, they've got to get Harrison Bader back in the... You know, Harrison Bader, when he was good, had, like, aspects of, like, the Isak Paredes skill set in terms mm-hmm. of a hitter, right? It's, ver- it's basically did pull down the line elevate. Doesn't hit the ball that hard, doesn't do anything, but just pulls the ball down the line constantly mm. and hits, you know, a bunch of home runs and a bunch of doubles doing that. Yeah, 2021, which was his last really good season, he was uh, 87. He maxed at 112. And again, 13. Like his launch angles are all around 15, 16 yeah. degrees. You know, he was 86, 112. Obviously, that's collapsed uh, the last couple of years. Um, although 2023 wasn't awful. But that 2021 season, you know, he was, you know, at 28% fly ball rate against a 24% major league average. And pull rate was a little above average, not not as much. But, yeah, it's what we're... Right, I mean, he's not as good at it. He's not as good at it. Um, But, but like, again, he runs very high or well above average zone contact rates. He chases a little too much. There have been seasons in the past where he has... He has chased too much recently. Yes. Again, which is a thing that when you're pressing and when your sure. hamstring's not feeling well and those sorts of things, you're going to do more. But again, you're, not you're looking old, for... He's 29. Sure, it's, you're looking for him to hit like 250 with 15 home runs and play goal glove level defense. That's right, because he's a foreign player if he does that. Right. <laughs> that's, he's uh, like, we've seen these... Like This is like Juan Lagares Lug- like with more power, basically. Right. Um, and again, this is a player where if you're evaluating based on what he did last year, what this looks like recently, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is capable, and as recently as 2021, and at times has flashed this group of skills in 22 and 23, 
when he hasn't been hurt and he hasn't been playing through injury. Right, he's also had the sprint speed decline, although it's not as notable. That's, as that's also, that's also the hamstring. Had a hamstring injury. Right, that's... Yeah. Um, he played through a hamstring injury. Bad idea. Don't yeah. do that. Um, but this is a this is a player where there's a reasonable upside case that he's going to be pretty good. He's only twenty nine. He's not a you know he's not like Kevin Kiermaier's age for a similar right. type of player. This this actually it's a very different style of player, but you can see yes. the outlines of the Tommy Pham signing here. Sure. Um, where there's very specific traits and there's very specific roster fit mm-hmm. and there's very specific reason to think that he's a lot better than he's been over the last couple of years. Um. Which, again, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Going out and signing Michael A. Taylor, who <laughs> by any demonstrative look at the two of these players that doesn't involve their 2023 slash line is a considerably worse player than Harrison Bader. But he had a higher slash line last year, so it would have played better on WFAN. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's how this, that's how this goes. Um you know, if you're going to identify that these guys are going to get similar money, Michael Lee Taylor may even get two years. It wouldn't shock me. If he I think did. he is going to get two years. Um, you know, you, you start looking at this, and, you know, Bader's a better defender. They're both very good. Um, and then you start looking at the offense, and, yeah, Taylor was better last year in, like, weird, fluky ways and does not have the historical. Also, like, yeah, you really don't want him to be your you don't want either of these guys to be like a 150 game starter and Bader should be more leverageable right yes well I mean ideally you do Bader's also three years younger which when you're dealing with this skill set is like very significant because when the speed goes here this guy's done when the bat speed goes and the speed goes this guy's done um this is not a yeah, I, look, they, it's a similar muddy contract to Kiermaier in a similar mm. term. Now, Kiermaier very obviously wanted to stay in Toronto, right? Sure. Um, which is fine. Kiermaier was very significantly better last year. Yeah. I am going to take a guess, because um, we put out Pakoda, right? Uh, yeah, you can get the Pakoda projections. Yeah. Right, without... Without knowing, because I have not done this. Let's I have not. I, I have not done. I meant to do like a Mets Pakoda thing at some point. Obviously, we've been yeah, well, all over the place the last few weeks. Yeah, sure. We'll point. do it then. That's as, fine. as as always, our website's not going to load fast enough. I was going to say I was going to have to fill for a long time if you're trying to load the Pakoda spreadsheets. <laughs> I wasn't even the spreadsheets. I was going to the player cards. Um, hmm. Those are loading quicker now. Please, nobody email Craig that we're doing this. Um, Harrison Bader on the Fangraph depth chart <laughs> is a 1.7 win player. Yeah. Um, and that's only over the, uh, the fine people, John Becker, etc. Mm-hmm. John Becker and Jason Martinez on their depth chart side are only projecting him for 448 plate appearances. So over the full season, that would be two and change. Yeah. Um, Hey, Harrison Bader's BP player card finally pulled up. <laughs> How long is it going to take Pakoda? Um, I'm apparently not logged in, even though I, I downloaded was... the spreadsheet. Hang on. All right, go ahead. I will get on this. I mean, it's going. It's going to take me a minute. Which one of these is hitters? Uh, hitting download. Yep. Here we go. Do 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 do. Kevin Kiermaier yeah, over. Uh, roughly, actually, the same amount of playing time. One point three wins. 
that's less. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the point I'm making. That's yeah, less. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a smaller number. <laughs> it is, yeah. Because, <laughs> um, <sighs> again, age is a very big It is a big factor. driver of this, yeah. Um, Michael A. Taylor getting more playing time than either of these guys. 1.0. That's way less. That is, that is significantly less. that's time. Again, uh, you plug these... Because, especially because of the age curve, if you plug these guys into projection systems. Vader's going to be listed as a red here, probably, because this came out before the... I, I don't know. Um, if you plug these guys into projection systems, Vader's going to come out as the better player, because he's Man, been Picotta, historically... Picotta been historically really likes Stephen Kwan. He's been... Yeah, he's been historically the better player, and he's significantly up. Picotta also really likes Francisco Alvarez, for the record. They have him as a top 50 hitter in baseball next year. Um, anyway, that's not what I'm looking for. Do they have Alvarez as the best? Uh, no, they have him as the third best. I'm not behind Alonzo and Lindor. That makes sense. Uh, does not like Gunnar Henderson. I already knew that. I, there's got to be a right, Let's just... Let's find... Let's find Harrison Bader on this. I can do that. I know a little bit about Excel. Of course, it takes me to the uh, Harrison Bader comp first. All right, Harrison Bader's 50th percentile. Pakoda projection for next year has him with an 87 DRC plus and 1.4 uh, yeah. warp. Obviously, our replacement level is a little bit higher than Fangraphs. Let's find Kiermeyer. They have Kiermeyer for a... 87... <laughs> DRC plus and 1.4 wins above replacement. Yeah. So there you what go. about Michael A. Taylor? Michael A. Taylor. I may have to put in his full name here. That'll actually probably make it go faster. All right. We just have it as Michael Taylor. Okay. This is not going well so far. I guess we're just searching for Taylor. Let's see how this goes. Uh, there's Chris Taylor. There's Tyrone Taylor. We have now got... So Tyrone Taylor is projected to be a better player than Michael A. Taylor next year, uh, for starters. Michael A. Taylor, a 79 uh, warp and 0 0.7. Or, sorry, 79 DRC plus and 0 0.7. It's almost like a no-ball effort. Yeah, like a you no-ball. Know, uh, Tyrone Taylor, for the record, a 103 DRC plus and 0 0.8. And it's 257 plate appearances. Tyrone Taylor's going to play for the Mets. Yeah, he might play. He's going to get more than 257 plate appearances, probably. So, so the Mets are... I think they've got three bench spots pretty much locked in. It's going to be Nervaez, Taylor, and Joey Wendell. They're all out of options. Now, right. there was a leak that they would love to trade Omar Narvaez. They're not going to trade Omar Narvaez. I mean, if they eat if they almost eat, all like, the salary, if they eat like the, the, yeah. Every um, backup catcher seems to get one in four million, so if they pay it down to one in four million, you might find a team that's... Uh, yeah. You're not going to um, get much back, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, and like, like just like clearing Tomas that Nito spot. Is a worse player. Or Tyler Heineman, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the, the rotation, I think, is pretty quick. You could run they, a six man. You could. They've said they're not going to add another starting pitcher. They said they weren't going to sign another starting right, pitcher. Now, they have been connected to both Cesar Lazardo. We should like talk about, theory. like, this. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to want for Cease. Obviously, there are a lot more teams than on Dylan Cease, so I assume the ask has come down a little bit there. Yeah. I'm not, talk I'm not talking about, like, credible reports necessarily. Right. I'm just talking about, you know, 
in theory, see some Lazardo fit what they are. Quite yeah, but I think it was. I think and there's there was been even... like there's been like suggestion articles for them on those two guys. Yeah, I assume there's some smoke there. I don't know how much. But... Now, if you look on roster resource, they have an entire bullpen of out of options guys, but a lot of those guys have assignment clauses, and that also includes like Sean Reed Foley and Phil Bickford and Austin right. Adams, so I don't think we're actually locked in. I think they have five locked-in spots. I think Diaz, Raleigh, Drew Smith, Tonkin, and Lopez are all making the team unless they get hurt. Sure. Can't wait to um, with Drew Smith for another year, but here we are. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's not. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've got a group. You know, you've got Reed Foley. You've got Austin Adams. Johan Ramirez. Yeah. All the, all the guys they signed. Yeah. yeah. guys. Group of guys is all potential bullpen. Grant Hartwig, Josh Walker, Reed yeah. Garrett, Cam Robinson, Chad Smith, Cole Salzer, Nate Lavender, uh, Paul Gervais. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure they're going to sign more guys, too. You know, Vassal uh, or Hamill could end up in the bullpen at some point, too. Yeah, probably not early in the season. Right. Really, um, necessarily expect that. Uh, Justin Jarvis might end up in the bullpen. Christian Scott might end up in the bullpen at some point. Victor Castaneda is floating around. Yeah. Um, I like Victor Castaneda as a reliever, actually. Yeah, didn't we all, right? Yeah, yeah, um, fine. So you've got one bench spot, um, or I think what's actually going to happen to that bench spot. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're going to sign a starting DH. I think they're going to sign J.D. Martinez or Justin Turner in that sure. bench spot. The bench spot becomes, yeah. Yeah, bench spot becomes DJ Stewart. Yeah. That spot, which currently on roster resources, helped by Mark Fiantos. I don't (laughs) think Fiantos is making this team. Right. Um, So, yeah. um, The 2000, yeah, they need to have a DH. Um, I I think that, you know, they've been connected to both Martinez and Turner. Um, Both of those guys are fits. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martinez is obviously full-time DH only. You can play him in the outfield. You really don't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turner can give you some flex in the infield, but tends to start physically breaking down when he plays the infield a whole lot at his age. Yeah. Um, Martinez is probably a better player at this point. Turner's a funnier narrative story. It is, yeah. Uh, either one of those guys would be good signings. I assume both of them are only getting one year because they're both pretty goddamn old. Yeah, I mean, Turner's going to be, it's, it might be his age 39 season, but he's going to be 40 next time. Right, so is Martinez. Yeah. Martinez might already be 40. I don't actually. think he is. Uh, J.D. Martinez was born, J.D. Martinez is only 36. I'm yeah. shocked. No, yeah, because the, the, August, August where the, where the, what are the victim of our own success was like 2013 and he was like 25 yeah. then, so. Yeah. I mean, look, they, J.D. Martinez would be the second best hitter in this lineup probably yes, yes, he would. the best <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's like him and alonzo he's Jay capable martinez. of having a season better than alonzo he has had seasons better than alonzo you've got and a, not that far distant past you've got a team where you can give full-time dh at bats to somebody like there's nobody on this team that has the dh mm-hmm. other than Marte. And if Marte's dh and he probably just shouldn't be playing right um you can just sign to let they Run fucking Vogelbach for the last year and a half under the same general team construct. Right. You could just sign J.D. Martinez and plan on giving him 160 games at DH. Like, yeah. Like, that's a thing you can do. Um, it's a thing they should do. 
you got to get like one in 19, one in 18, something like that. My money. Yeah. It's a good deal. It's a smart deal. Yep. And we know the Mets are all about smart deals now. What are we about? We're about catching up on all your questions. What, what do you think Go about ahead, the diet, You've actually yeah, everybody quiet. Well, this is this is your show, basically. I knew that going in because you were uh, not shut up about these deals. I mean, I literally, I should, for context, obviously, I I don't know when exactly the Heyman tweet happened because I just woke up to it. I woke up at my normal time around eight yeah, uh, Mountain Standard. I'll, I'll check, so I just woke up to the Discord being very excited for whatever you had to say about this and the group chat. You just... Uh, uh, monopolizing. So. Five oh one a.m. Jeez, that's Scott Boris wake up. It's an early morning. Yeah, just it's one we have. We have the, I mean, I assume the phone's never on Do Not Disturb, but you have a special ring for when Scott Boris is calling you at five in the morning. But uh, yeah, look, I'm fine with these deals. Like they are objectively good deals. Yes. But, but there's a but coming. You know? There's a but coming, yes. There's... And I'm f- going to be 42 in May. I would like... And, like, look, this might be a fun Mets team. It might. It should be. They've raised the ceiling a little bit. Too. And you can look at it like, well, if things go really badly, you can look at the second half of the season, you might see Drew Gilbert and Christian Scott. And yeah. you'd be excited for the prospects that are coming up. I said that shit in 2014 on a Mets podcast. Like, I just don't want to play that game anymore. Like, Steve Cohen, look, absolutely do the Stearns, do the Brewers stuff, do the the good analytic stuff, but it's also supposed to be Brewers with money, and I haven't really seen the money yet. I mean, the Brewers would not have signed the Sean Minaya deal just because they couldn't afford to play it this Sure, lap. sure. Fair enough. Like, this is Brewers with money. It is, it so is. Nice. That is, I don't, again, it's this not is, necessarily... this is on me. I don't know. I've said this on Five and Dive, too. I think on this show, like, I, like, the the recent Brewers, good teams, teams that have made the playoffs, uh, granted, in the NL Central reasonably consistently over the last decade, are not exactly the top of my queue on MLB TV to watch when I just want to throw a game on. So there's a, um, there's a point to be made here that's, Mm -hmm. I think, that's, I think, a very valid point, which is that we are saying that the Mets front office has gotten a lot smarter. They're operationally a lot better than they were five years ago. Yes. At the same time, Steve Cohen has not been the owner that was promised. Yes. Um, Look, they had to do this stuff in the background. Yes, we said all along. They three years longer yeah. than it should have yes. to, get to, to get to this. Right. right, and some of that especially is like, you know, the they had trouble hiring top-end front office talent for reasons both within and without of their right. control. A, yeah. a lot of that was a problem of their own creation. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. A lot of it was. The hires they made were You know, giving, San, and... giving Sandy Alderson carte blanche to promote his son and that running away a dozen yeah. baseball operations candidates who were being told that Sandy was going to be above them and Bryn was going to be below them and there was <laughs> yes. no... That was a prop. That was a thing of their own creation. Even if they had to bring in in Sandy, yeah, you don't have to create the Nepo baby prop again. Nothing wrong with Bryn. Bryn's also been gone from the Mets front office for a year and hasn't popped up anywhere. And that's right. telling you something too. Um, I mean, it was fine to bring Alderson in for the search know, if he was going to step back fairly quickly afterwards. And you know, maybe that was the plan. 
but obviously... You know, failed to do adequate due diligence on one general manager hire. Then instead of pivoting in one direction for the next one, just hired the runner-up, who who turned out to both be bad at his job and ended up, you know, whatever happened there, I don't know. Yeah. And then um, they got Billy Epler as a stopgap after sending another offseason running through a dozen candidates that weren't particularly right. interested or used a job to get a promotion. And Billy Epler was a middle-of-the-pack retread mm-hmm. who ran the team like a middle-of-the-pack retread. And for all six of those reigns, <laughs> Cohen is back there negotiating contracts himself. Which, again, is not how good organizations run. Um, You know, you ended up investing... You ended up with players having direct lines to the owner and influencing things there, which is also never great. Um, You ended up with a manager... I mean, look, they arguably lost out on signing Kevin Gosman because of the competing right. forces within the front right. office and ownership not weird, getting on the same page. It's a very weird situation where yeah. there was a clock running in a yeah. way there usually aren't. So you've got that, and you've got, you know, Gosman would have been the best free agent signing of the last, I don't know, 20 years of the Mets. So, <laughs> yeah. um that might not technically be true, but, you know, Gosman signed for a very reasonable contract. I say Carlos Beltran, but yes, sure. Right, it's taken another... Since Carlos Beltran, yeah. Now, Gosman's like a top-five pitcher in baseball now. Right. Um, he got less money than Jordan Montgomery is going to get. It took them three, four seasons, because it's really not going to be until the 24 season with Chris Gross, and yeah. to essentially come up with a coherent draft player development philosophy. Right. They spent a lot of time mucking around with trying to put four different front offices together with competing philosophies and creating all these little different power bases in the organization that ended up with incoherent organizational philosophies, um, a first-round draft pick that didn't sign, a third-round draft pick that didn't sign, and then got drafted again in the second round by the same team the next year. Just, like, complete... Inco- they have had organizational incoherence until the last, like, two months. Yeah. Like, that's finally the time in which things have become coherent. And you can see... Okay. Look, I mean, you can see the Sean Manaya signing... This is like the type of stuff that like Eric Jagers is trying to do on the pitching development side. What the Giants and Driveline did with Minaya over the last 14 months is very similar to what the Mets have done over the last 18 months with Christian Scott, right? Mm-hmm. In yeah. terms of location pitches, pitch traits, maximizations. Yeah. Um, I suspect they've probably got... The funny thing is it was two different draft regimes that drafted Brandon Sproat. Yes. And I think the first one drafted him because they thought he was going to be this big horse of an innings eater. And yeah. I, I think the second one drafted him. They can him think they can fix his fastball his, shape, yeah. Because yeah. they can fix his fastball shape. 
something I've been <laughs> discussing with a few people recently. This is this is I gotta write about this. Yeah. But I don't know how to write about this without sounding without really pissing off a lot of uh, yeah. Something that's happened <laughs> college in, baseball writers. <laughs> no, I wasn't even gonna talk about that. Uh, no, not p- pissing off a bunch of front office people because. Uh-huh. Like, no way to write this without calling people just, like, incredibly stupid. Mm. Um, The dumbest teams and the smartest teams have started chasing similar players and disfavoring similar players for the exact opposite reasons. I'm going to use Shota Imanaga as an example of this. The, and I'm, I think I'm selling this from Rob War. I'm sorry, Rob. (laughs) Um, The dumbest teams are avoiding Shota Imanaga because he's short. Yeah, and short pitchers aren't the short righty that throws ninety two miles an hour. Yeah, like all of the stuff yeah. that you don't want out of a pitcher, except for you know one thing, which is he's left handed, not right handed. Sure. Um, oh, he's lefty. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like short um, gives up a lot of home runs. Mm-hmm. The middle teams, which are just looking at like his the, the Giants pick- and the Giants Angels Cubs for the. Red Sox, yeah. 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 They, pretty, the Giants are actually a little bit. I mean, they're like the smarter side of the average curve. But aren't they actually though? I think they, they are. Still are. I don't know. Yeah, if they okay. are pitching. Fair enough. Uh, I, there's signs that they aren't on pitching. In fact, Sean <laughs> <laughs> and I is 2023 usage is one of them. Sure. Uh, they should have put this guy in the fucking starting rotation. They do, but, but they signed so many of these you, guys that this, when they saw they. They were unable to figure out that they should put Sean and I in the rotation for three months after he started throwing that sweet bar. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the middle teams are, like, looking at, like, Trackman, like the Rays were in 2017 and going, wow, there's my guy. Yeah. You know, look at the, look at these traits. And then the smarter teams are going, yeah, he's giving up tons of... <laughs> giving up tons of home runs because his VAA is causing him to just get fucking obliterated. Yeah. It's causing that fastball to get obliterated on contact. Yeah, we don't want this. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like this... And part of that is, in fact, his he height... Thro- is, his and height, that he throws only 92. Right. His height is a release point. His velocity is yeah. creating... He throws, he, throws a, he throws slightly higher than generic as a short guy yeah. and if you throw slightly higher than generic as a short guy <laughs> it looks really fucking generic coming out of the hand right um and it's not like they're yeah it just gets obliterated on contact um so like if you put him into like and again this is not shade on you know and certainly not on max bay but if you put him on a stuff type model like a stuff plus type model because i know stuff plus really popped in the wbc there's certain traits there that are going to pop it. But then you start looking at the whole picture, and yeah, he's going to get obliterated on contact. And uh-huh. maybe we don't want to sign him for $120 million when there's also, you know, maybe some other issues going on there. Or he's just a pitcher that hasn't thrown the major leagues yet. There, there's like some, uh, you know, there's there's some uh, trait similarities to Kikuchi here, who, mm-hmm. again, ended up being a nice, solid major league pitcher, but probably is not quite as good as uh, the Mariners hoped for when they initially signed. Right. Um, so you've got like this parabola in the middle of teams that are like semi-smart or like not like kind of no, but not yeah, on the cutting uh, edge. The phrase that's is actually, uh, "no enough to be dangerous." <laughs> well, that's actually not where you want to be. Right. And we've made this point over and over again on this podcast, dating back to 2020. 
But that's not where you want to be. And there's signs, especially on the pitching side, that the Mets are emerging from that pack and turning into one. I mean, we are just five months removed, six months removed, five months removed, whatever, from them just spending their entire draft class on high IVB pitchers. So Right, but that's a very specific... It's It wasn't their entire draft I class. Know. It was the fourth round in on. Mm-hmm. And it's not just high IVB pitchers. It was usually... The guys that they took were mostly high IVB guys who had an obvious, potentially fixable secondary problem. Uh huh. And were from maybe small colleges right. or used as yum yum, used as relievers. Very, maybe, right. Yeah. Right. So if you want to just pop a bunch of high, look, bulk taking guys with high calorie fastballs and velocity and trying to teach them to do other stuff, you're going to get a couple. Of, that's what the Astros have done. Yeah. So what the Astros have done it on day two and day three with their pitching selections and have been very successful. It's a lot of what the Rays have done on day two and day three with their pitching selections. It's exactly what the Dodgers have been doing, mm-hmm. especially from those weirder type backgrounds. Ronan like, Cop was a Juco guy, I think. Yeah, Ronan yeah. Ronan Cop was a Juco guy. They fucking love uh, guys that were mostly hitting. Yeah, River Ryan. Uh, River Ryan, Peyton Martin. Um, Gavin Stone was a college, a small college reliever. Yeah, Tony Gonsolin was a mostly an outfielder in college. If you go back a little bit further, Kyle Hurt uh, has a weird background, if I recall too. You know, Nick Nostrini was pitching in a men's into men's. Yeah, he had TLS or and... Yeah, yeah. So like you, you start looking at weird places, like you know, and, and some of the guys they came from. Were Kyle Hurt places. was just bad at USC mostly, but yeah, I mean, they, there's a 2020 guy too, so. So this is this is the old thing about if you have two runners, one with great form and one with terrible form that run the same forty times, an old football maxim that run the same forty time. You take the guy with terrible form because if you give him good form, there's a pretty good chance he's going to run a lot. Right. This is the pitching version of Zach Desenzo. Right. So you take guys. You know, if I recall correctly, Cade Morris was terrible in college last year. Right. I think that's correct. Yes. Um. Yes, he had a five-five ERA. Granted, it's, at, no, it's at Nevada, which is a sure. tough place to pitch. That whole yeah, but that's, tough but that's to part pitch. of the, that's yep. part of the point, right? You take guys that there's reasons that Sprout wasn't any good at Florida last year. He had a bad season. Yeah, he did. But within that bad season, he junked the generic Christian Scott slider and started throwing mm-hmm. like this really nifty hard thing. He didn't know where it was going half of the time. But you're looking at a you're looking at taking a guy out of a program where a lot of Pitchers coming out of that program have made jumps afterwards, and you can infer whatever you want from that. This is also why guys, why teams take Virginia pitchers. Mike Vassell is one yeah, of them. Yeah. This is why teams take Texas Tech pitchers. You yeah. can run through the schools here. Um, you know, that you're trying to get a unexpected good performance out of. Right. Mike Vassell was a notable prep prospect, too. Right. Like, so it, it, there's, there's, like, there's obviously was talent there that may have been... Uh, right. So you get... Uh, obscured by his... You look at... The Yankees do this all the time. They take pitchers who sucked in college. The Dodgers do this all the time. They take pitchers that sucked in college. The Mariners do this all the time. They take pitchers that sucked in college. A guy that's got average stuff and had good performance in college is going to be a double-A starting pitcher for you without some sort of reason to believe that his traits are better. So if you do... Tyler Pell, Logan Verrett, yeah. 
if you do what the Mets have been doing and just draft those guys nonstop, you're going to have a nice rotation in Binghamton, yeah. which is they something that the Mets cared about <laughs> at the time. They yeah. shouldn't have. Uh, Jeff Wolpod really cared about minor league winning in, mm-hmm. in very specific places sometimes, too. Brooklyn must win. Brooklyn must um, win, yes. So you, you want to see... So, yeah, you take a bunch of guys who either weren't any good in college or pitched at places where they weren't seen by scouts that ran, that had a couple really interesting traits on track, man. You get them into your dev system, which is led by a guy that everybody thinks is a top five pitching development guy, pitch design guy in the world. And you see what happens. That's a perfectly good way to deal with it. What you don't do is you give Shota Imanaga hundred and forty million dollars because of his vertical carry. You give, that's a much you give, higher you give Zach Thornton five hundred thousand. Right. Yeah. You you want to take these shots who's also a lefty at, that throws ninety two. Right. You want to take these shots at a much lower and reasonable again, if they gave Sean Minaya five years and hundred and twenty five million, I would be going, What in the absolute fuck are you doing? But they didn't. They gave him one plus one and guaranteed him 28. So, like, all of this contextually matters. And something that I worry about in the baseball analysis framework, especially our part of the baseball analysis framework, where we've tried to be very humanist and we've mm-hmm. tried to say, you know, certainly a lot of people on here, certainly a lot of people in this part of the community don't think there should be billionaires and think that the players should get all the money, right? Um when that starts to bleed into analysis, it starts to get tricky, right? Because you can say, yeah, Jordan Montgomery is more certain than Minaya to have exactly three wins next season. Mm-hmm. But you're not just signing Jordan Montgomery for next season. You're signing Jordan Montgomery until the end of time. Right. And if you're coming at this from a humanist perspective... You can't just say the second he's less than a league average starting pitcher, cut him or send him to the back of the bullpen or like, you can't actually do that. Like this perspective of just pay the players, whatever, and figure it out later actually ends up leading to the reverse incentive where guys end up getting stuck in purgatory forever. So it's like, you know, you have to be very careful. You know, I saw there was some discussion the other day. It came out that, Yamamoto had a non-assignment clause in his contract. Look, if I was Yamamoto and seeing what happened to Kay Gallo and Rusty Castillo, yeah, I would have a non-assignment clause in my contract too. Even right. if I, you know, you never know. Yeah. And he's because of service time, he would not pick up the right to reject the assignment without opting out until two, four, five, six, Four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah. until two thousand twenty-nine. Yeah. So. Yeah, of course. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he blows out his shoulder and doesn't come back the same. This guy doesn't want to fucking go, to go tag out in Oklahoma City if that's the case. Yeah. He shouldn't. So. Because, right, if, I, if, if you can, then the reason they did this with Castillo specifically was that once they're not on the 40, it doesn't count towards the CBT. That, that, that doesn't actually, that's not actually true anymore. It's not that true anymore? Pull, okay. That will pull that close. Right. Um, he, he was grandfathered in. Okay. Because uh, it was contract signed previously, even previous hour. That was close to two CBAs ago. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like, you can't just... 
you can't necessarily always make these contracts. You can't just like spend frivolously and make these contracts go away. The Mets are dealing with that right now. They they cannot make Starling Marte go away. Starling Marte is a problem on this roster that they cannot make go away. Um, Omar Narvaez is a problem that they're going to have difficulty making go away. Uh, and that's because they gave these guys the extra year or two under... I, was Marte actually technically under Epler or was he before? But under, let's say, the Epler philosophy, the Epler, Epler life philosophy, um, you know, like you need to actually have a plan and have process here. And on some level, I think it's more important for the Mets in this intervening period to actually get the process there. Because the actual goal here is to become the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Where, because you have this process, you can just go, fuck it, here's Otani and Yamamoto. And guess what? If you're good at all that stuff, Otani and Yamamoto want to sign with you, too. Because they're not, especially Otani. Yamamoto apparently has absolutely no interest in pitch design analytics. Yeah, he did. That's, that's how it turned out. Interesting. Yes. But Otani very much does, and we know that. Yeah. And we knew that all, we've known that for a decade. Right, you get okay. this right, and then maybe you know in two years it's Munitaka Murakami, right? Right. It's probably you know, not going to be. It's not going to be Roki Sasaki. He's going to be a Dodger. Juan Soto is going to take whoever gives him the most money. Different yeah. players have different motivations. Yeah. Juan Soto, you know, maybe if it's close, he's on the East Coast. Maybe if it's close, he stays with the Yankees if he really loves it there. Mm-hmm. But you know, Juan Soto appears to be motivated by putting the biggest contract ever up on the board, which is fine. Yeah. Um. That's a perfectly valid motivation. Otani's motivations here seem to be, one, he wanted to set the all-time, all-record number. Two, he wanted to win a lot of fucking baseball games. And three, he wanted to live on the West Coast if possible, especially Mm -hmm. in Southern California. It's perfectly fine. These players fought a long time for free agency to get to decide that, right? Um, Yamamoto seemed to really want to play with Otani, seemed to really want to play with the Dodgers, also wanted to play on the West Coast, also wanted to play with the winner. Again, these guys fought for a long time to be able to get those rights. Um, And I've seen Met fan complaints. What are we going to do if the money is not enough? Well, you got to build a fucking good organization that people want to play for. Yeah. You got to, you got to, you know, and David Stearns is a part of that, and Eric Jaggers is a part, and you hope that Mendoza is, and you hope that Francisco Lindor is as your cornerstone player for the net for the rest of the decade, and you probably hope that you can sign Pete Alonso and that he is. And you hope that Steve Cohen is, frankly. And you really got to hope that Steve Cohen is. <laughs> yeah. And part of that's going to be that when David Stearns says boss, we shouldn't be going out there and signing Jordan Montgomery. He's actually going to listen and sign Sean Manai instead. So, but at the same time, it's taken a lot. You can go back and listen to the podcast right after Colin came in. I said this was going to be a five to seven year runoff Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't going to be totally apparent on the field for another couple of years past that. We're on year four now, and the run-up's actually probably, if anything, a little on the slow side of that timetable in everything other than pitching depth. Yeah. Um, the hitting dev is yeah. not here yet. 
they do not have a coherent organizational hitting philosophy right now. Do you know what the Mets are looking for in hitters? No. That's that's an actual no. question. No, that's, I know. Yeah. There's not a... Right, There's it's it's incoherent. Um, it's incoherent in acquisition, it's incoherent in drafting, it's incoherent in development. Right. Um, you would hope maybe Chris Gross starts to change that. You would, it, certainly our hope a year ago was that Jeff Albert was going to significantly mm-hmm. change that. Um, the major league hitting coaches, meh. Um, the, their draft strategy, meh. Their trade strategy, I can like kind of see between the drafts and the trades that they're like... I mean, David Stearns has also been here for three months, four months. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We're just starting to maybe put together an organizational hitting philosophy in year four. Right. It's going to take years for that to actually mm-hmm. turn to on-field value. Um, do you think a David Stearns, Chris Gross draft room takes Colin Halleck last year? No. Right. So... They're taking, like, McGonagall or Ty Floyd there, I suspect. Right. I, I don't even know who is available at that. And Ty Floyd might have gone before that pick. I don't think he did. Maybe he did. Yeah, this is this is something we should look. This up. is something would, we can. Uh, who would the Mets have taken? I love, we we love playing this game. We're playing it in a slightly different way than uh, than we have in the past. But right, so they took. No, Ty Floyd was still on the board. So yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they would have taken Ty Floyd, but you know, over it floated an overslot, overaged, classic mm. projection guy. So the the picks right For... behind them. First took Josh Nath right behind him. That yeah. might have been the guy. It might have been um, the guy. Um, McGonagall. Um, I don't think they take... Yeah, maybe... I, I don't think they take Charlie Soto. No. I don't no. think they take Thomas White. There were people Especially in the front place. office that wanted Yohandy Morales. I know. I don't, think they take I don't think those are the guys that are still there. They might have taken Kemp Alderman. They might have taken Luke Cole. Um, you know, it, it's hard to say. It's yeah. hard to say. It might take Colton Lud better. Um, but, you know, pro- probably not Colin Halk. If right. they were trying to float somebody, it probably would not have been Colin Halk. Um, I don't know who it would have been, but, you know, might have been Bryce Matthews or the Astros. Yeah. So, you know, literally went a couple of picks ahead that Chris Gross drafted. Mm-hmm. I think if you ask most pro scouts and pro scouting analysts right now, they're probably taking Bryce Matthews over Colin Howe. Probably um, by a fairly significant margin. Yeah. You'll find some scouts that wouldn't. Sure. Um, you know. And look, Matthews has his flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a, I don't know where that pick's going to land for them. And I don't know if they know either, because that's, you know, it's, probably going to go one of two pretty strong ways this season. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hope first off season, full-time baseball pro training environment yeah. at the same time is already 19 and a half, I think. Mm-hmm. And has really shown no signs of being a pro quality hitter. And he did not hit a ball over a hundred miles an hour last year. Yeah. It's After his pro debut, a small sample. Small sample. Yeah. But, you know, it's got a really pretty swing. It looks great in the uniform. Yeah. You know, you, you look at 
you look at him versus Aiden Miller right now. I know sure. the Phillies list is going up tomorrow, all right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, you know, you, you would take Aiden Miller, and Halk was higher on our draft list, but mm. the reason that Aiden Miller wasn't on there was very specifically a uh, handmade injury, which yeah. did not seem to be a problem post-draft. It didn't, and he's like, like Halk, he's probably going to end up at third, but... Yeah. yeah. So, it's, it's interesting. It we're, is. We're... Yeah, it's interesting. It is it's interesting. Uh, hour and ten minutes in the show. We did say we we're going to clean out the inbox, so let's take a break do and do that. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there. Episode four hundred and forty-nine for all you kids out there. It's a Mets adjacent to baseball perspectives podcast. You can find us on the internet at baseballperspectives.com. The podcast is on iTunes and various other non-iOS apps. Just search for For All You Kids out there and you listen or subscribe right there. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at For All You Kids. Share us on Twitter at J.A. Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash For All You Kids out there. And you can email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectives.com. And yeah, we have a, uh, a fair bit of correspondence to catch up on. So let's start. With the emails, um, mostly I, I scanned these before we actually, which are rarity for me. Uh, most of these are still somewhat relevant, even though in, in many cases several weeks old. Uh, we will start with an email from Philip, who is bothering me on Slack. Do I need to deal with this immediately? I do not. Um, so, hey friends, what are the odds? It's still Thursday, so things could have changed. One, Yamamoto is a Met. Uh, he signed that Friday. <laughs> well, this is a while ago. Though. Yeah, Thursday, December 21st, yes. Like I said, we haven't done correspondence in a few weeks because a lot of things have happened. Zero uh, percent, Philip. Uh, the rest of these are fine. Two, Alonzo is extended before the end of the season. Uh, did we already uh, do these? Th- no, I don't think I don't think, think so. we did. The fine end of the season. So you want to know if he does it? Are we going to talk? I, but are you? Do you want to include the exclusion? Uh, the exclusive period is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, that's that's basically. We will include the exclusive period before officially declaring free agency. Um. Uh, um. Cubs, uh, once again this week, reiterated their interest in Alonso once he's a free agent. 15%. I was going to say 20, so yeah. Yeah, it's pretty low, but it's not zero. He would need to have like a slightly below average season for him, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the Mets are still willing to, yeah. Three, Alvarez is an all-star in 2024. 35%. Yeah, so part of the problem is you've got William Contreras, Will Smith, and... Sean Murphy, all in the division. So it is actually kind of a crowded catcher class. That said, if he has a pretty good first half, I think he's going to do well in voting specifically. You yeah. know, doing it in in New York. Although the Mets don't tend to do as well in all-star voting as you might think, given the the market advantage. Four, Beatty has a bounce-back sophomore year. Um, Man. Oof. There's some unknown uh, unknowns and some known unknowns here. Again, what are we calling a bounce back? 112 OPS plus or higher. 
Um, um, Better than 10% above average league hitter next year by your metric of choice. Forty percent. It's about where I was actually going to say exactly forty percent. I just look; it's all in there. We've talked about this ad nauseum. It's just, is it going to happen with this major league coaching staff? Five. Jorge Soler signs with the Mets. I guess he's still in the DH mix. He's going to get like this is this is what we talked about with you know Manaya versus Montgomery, right? He's going to get to a lesser extent. He's going to get like three years, where you only have to pay one for. Martinez or Turner, and they're likely to be better hitters than him in 2024. I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a good hitter, and he probably actually legitimately has more. Again, you don't want him playing in the outfield, but you can live right. with him playing in the outfield or playing the field uh, more than Martinez and Turner for slightly different reasons. Yeah. Turner really can't do it physically, although he's still not a bad defender. Uh, and Martinez is just awful in the field. Yeah. 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 Six, Reigns drops the title to Cody at Mania. Well, we can do some brief wrestling chat. Uh, the Rock is back. It's a lot lower than Yeah, was. it was then. Yeah. It's a lot lower than it was when you sent this email, sir. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the story is Cody getting pinned in a three-way match against Seth Rollins and CM Punk, I think is the joke you made. Yeah. Um, bad, That's bad the new story. Plans bad, change, stories change. Bad week to be uh, co-dead there. Yeah. Bad week. I mean, just zero percent. Zero percent. I mean, I guess it's possible they use Reigns against The Rock to like push the Australia yeah, show, so, like, but could, it's not zero because I could like see and uh, well, one, there's a chance that match doesn't happen because yeah, doesn't yes, happen at Mania right. or whatever. Yeah. You know, somehow it happens on a Saudi show. Sure, like you can like kind of see the outline of that, right? So mm-hmm. you, you've got that possibility and then you've got the possibility that um reigns and rock headlines one night and cody and roman heads another night God. so we're, we're talking like 20 percent here it's pretty low now okay i don't even know a, if i'd go that i that just was, don't think was, they, they think that was a rough blow to cody that was that a is, real yeah. rough blow to cody <laughs> somebody needs to green light black adam too if uh yeah, that was that was a real rough blow to Cody. Otherwise, uh, yeah, Cody and the Cody and Seth Rollins story will continue. Yeah. All right, moving along. Where are we? And we answered. I do. Yeah, we did answer that one. Cause on the Yamamoto show, Andrew actually sent this in the sent this in December 9th, and I missed it, and then pinged me again the twenty second. We're getting to it, Andrew. We got it. Uh, we always knew that the Dominican Republic and other Latin American countries were sources for good players, but now has the Far East become another source for them, and whatever happened to the American player pipeline is a direct result of baseball losing its popularity and it not being a sport that has mainstream participation anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's certainly again, it's, a... That it's, you know, the Kyler Murray discussion, right? That's putting, that's yeah. like an extreme example of it, but yeah. it does show that... They're simply like I, I, like Kyler Murray worked out about as well as it could for him, right? He had yeah. he had he had his best season the season before draft quarterbacks lo- get locked up to big extensions and yes. got locked up to a big extension. But yeah, he immediately got a hundred million dollars. 
more. But well, he still would have been in like double A for the A's if his baseball career went well. Right. Yeah. Triple A maybe. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and that's like part of the problem. There is not a ton of quick money. Like if you're like he would have gotten what like a three, four, five. I mean, I guess they were discussing weird structures like maybe five, six million dollar bonus that spot, which is not insignificant money, but it's just not because of the nature of baseball player development and the you know the pre-arb you know the team the team control contract structures for these guys like again you can spend 13 years with one organization and never like be able to choose your employer yeah you know seven years before you can be a minor league free agent after the draft and then six years of team control if you push it to that exact uh, limit that almost never happens but that is the structure that that uh that you go into once you go into pro baseball. And the other thing even before you get there is that it is incredibly expensive to be a top draft prospect in a lot of cases. Yeah. Showcase ball is very expensive. It requires a lot of travel. Um even before like while you're doing that, you probably need like private hitting or pitching instruction, which is also very expensive. So it just limits the market for being a high-level baseball prospect as an amateur. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. You know, it's not like people aren't... There are teenagers going to Driveline, right? And as yeah. I said before, Driveline's not a charity. You know, you got to pay over there. You know, all these places, Cressy, Tread, uh, Texas Baseball Farm. Um, yeah. You know, it's, again, these... Things cost money. And, you know, if you don't live, you know, if you're a, you know, Southern California prep pitcher and drivelines in Seattle, right? You got to go there. So I know they have like some like pop-up places around the country now, but it is, it's, it's difficult. It's expensive. Um, you know, the, the travel time is significant especially during the showcase uh circuit uh i don't think it's specifically baseball losing its popularity although baseball has difficulty marketing baseball certainly um yeah but yeah there's there's a there's a, a lot of different factors that's certainly part of it but ultimately it's it's it is very expensive to be a good American baseball prospect, basically. It's yeah. um, a pretty good summation, I think. Yeah. You know, we joke, uh, it's not really a joke, we joke like how all these players come from like the Tampa suburbs, the Houston suburbs, or the Los Angeles suburbs. Yeah, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. They can, well, part of it's they can play year-round, obviously. That helps. But also because those are very rich areas of the country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Q for the P from Rob. Hi, Jeffrey and Jarrett. When Stearns and Cohen used the word competitive earlier in the offseason, I decoded this to mean the Mets would field a 2024 squad with fifth or sixth seed wildcard aspirations. Uh, yeah. Reevaluating yeah. things post-Yamamoto and now feels like the upcoming season will less be about competing for a postseason berth and more about developing and testing young players and dealing a glut of expiring contracts for another haul at the deadline. Do you think the front office is already eyeing the trade deadline or I'm being too fatalistic here? I don't think they're eyeing the trade deadline, but they are prepared for the trade deadline. 
Yeah. What sort of realistic outcome do you think the front office is actually targeting for this season? Uh, 88 wins in the fifth wild card or the fifth seed. Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly a chance they can do better than that. Yeah, they're, again, they're... like they're, as we discussed them, there's some upside there with yeah. Anaya and some of these relievers. And, you know, they have yeah. a, again, they have a roster that you can now maximize in productive ways. Yeah. Which is uh, good. You want Which is good. Do you that. do want that. You probably want, you know, one more sure shot top of the rotation starter or. 20% better than league average hitter, but I think aim for that, but that, you know, they tried with Yamamoto and didn't really get there. And they honestly, I outside there's you look at this hitting market. It was not good, right? No. And, and there's not even really the, like, who's like the big bat. Is there a big bat trade candidates? I don't know that there is. Not that I can think of. Yeah. And you can look at the deals that have been made. There are a couple more deals this week. Obviously, Jerry Depoto is back doing Jerry Depoto things. But there's, I mean, it's Juan Soto. I guess the answer is it's literally Juan Soto. Um, and we've talked about how the Mets really couldn't put together a competitive offer for what the Padres wanted specifically. Yeah, I mean, they deal. could, but they. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's how much did they, did they really want pitching versus did they really want. You know, because Jet Williams and Drew Gilbert are both better prospects for us than Drew Thorpe. But, yeah. you know, and how much does that swing? And what's the Padres evaluation of those players? So, yeah. you, know. Uh, you know, again, I'm not uh, I'm not throwing on my, my quarters yet. But I think, look, I get what they're doing. Um, and you still go into the season with Lindor and Alonzo and McNeil and Senga at the top of that rotation and Francisco Alvarez. So it is still the theoretically uh, fun core we've, we've come to know and occasionally love over the last three seasons. So we'll see how it goes from there. Uh, question from Matthew. We answered his Nate Lavender question last week in the prospect stuff, but he also... Asks, hi, Jeffrey and Jarrett. Kodai Senga should never throw his sweeper again, right? What would you tell him to throw if you were the pitching coach? I'll hang up and listen. His gyro slider's fine, if I recall correctly. I looked at this fairly recently. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is, I think, at a certain point, an upper limit to how much he can throw the split. Just because eventually guys will... Yeah, you're just going to lay it off. Of, it's gonna be yeah. Guys have a, At, have a like, hard very time doing it. He has, he has to tunnel something else down in the zone. Which yeah. He's actually using this. It's one of the rare instances where a player was probably correctly tunneling their four-seam fastball down in the zone. Yeah. Which is not something you see a lot. Yeah. I mean, he threw his slider almost as much as his sweeper uh, last year. Uh, the sweeper ran 19 chase, 29 whiff, 86 Z contact. The slider ran 30 chase, 42 whiff, 72 Z contact. So he should probably throw his slider a little more. Probably. Um, I mean, he, throw, he throws the cutter a fair bit, especially against lefties. It's not a great cutter. Um, and, like, even his fastball, you know, for being 90, you know, upper 90s is not, you know, it's that same, you know, we it's the same 2300 spin, 5 BAA pitch that, you know, he throws it hard enough, but again, it's not a pitch that misses a ton of bats. But yeah, when you have a, a split that might literally be the single best secondary pitch in baseball, 
and I'm, yeah. I, I'm including relievers in there. Uh, yeah, that does that does cover for a lot. The pitch you want to throw a lot. It is, and he throws it. I think pretty about pretty much about as much as he can while still not hitting the point of diminishing returns. Yeah. Because you know, as good as it and it gets, I would say plus boarding on plus plus chase, but he throws it in the zone sixteen percent of the time. So guys are laying off. You, you throw that more, you start just putting yourself in. You know, yeah, like efficiency just, issues, you put yourself in bad counts if you try to throw it early. Okay. Yeah, they're just like our yeah. functional limitations yeah. on how much you can actually do that. I do think you should throw a slider a little bit more, uh, looking at this. Again, I don't know if it's because he just pops it, you know, 10% of the time, even less than that, looking at this, actually. Um, he throws it very occasionally, it makes it more effective. But I mean, he's basically a fastball cutter split guy. That is his arsenal. He doesn't. I mean, he really shouldn't throw a sweeper that much, but he doesn't. He doesn't really throw a sweeper that much. So, moving to the Facebook group. All right. I am literally. I am limiting us to the cute for the piece here. Uh, from Kyle. How about Ramon Urias as a trade piece for the Mets? Seems expendable in Baltimore. Can fill in a third base and second base. What would he cost to acquire? I feel like kind of duplicative of Joey Wendell. Joey Wendell. And they just uh, they claim Diego Castillo on. Uh, waivers this week to some yeah i don't think you would cost a ton given the that was a nice claim i like that claim you did it's a very weird profile but i mean arias like they don't really have room for ramon arias given the infielders that are coming up through the system right now um so i mean i guess they'll probably at some point move ramon arias on but yeah i mean he had a nice season he's probably he's better than joey wendell at this point, but Joey Wendell also cost you one and two, and I expect Ramon Urias with three years of control re remaining is going to cost you something you don't really want to part with. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Ramon Urias is like... Ramon Urias would probably, again, just be their starting third baseman. And I don't yeah. think they want to do that. Um, like, I would guess he projects better than Beatty. You know, he's been a, you know, a two to two and a half win player on average the last three years. While not playing more than 450 PA in a season. That's a really good player. Uh, you know, Baltimore can use him as a bench piece because they have so much infield depth. Um but yeah, I actually wouldn't be the worst. I've kind of talked myself into Ramon Arias now. I just don't think that again because they signed Wendell, they're not gonna, they're gonna do it. Another one from Kyle. Keep it the piece. Should the Mets sign a high upside guy such as Frankie Montas or James Paxton? Seems like a better idea not, than they're not gonna do that. No. So. Seems like a better idea than signing Lorenzo and Ryu to give league average innings. Stearns would seem to like them because they played in New York and Mendoza knows them. I wouldn't mind. It sounds like Paxton might go back to the Red Sox. I would not have given Frankie Montas one year and $16 million. That's a weird one. Uh, the Reds need that and had to pay for it uh, more than the Mets did. So, yeah. Um, is Frankie Montas really a high upside guy? I guess is a question to ask, too. Mm, Pax I, I, Paxton, I guess, I mean, relatively speaking for like a one-year deal, I guess they are. But 
I don't know, man. I'm kind of out on Frankie Montas. I've never liked Frankie Montas. I've liked James Paxton at times. For any particular reason, you're out on Frankie Montas? He can never pitch. He's had like a half of a good season in his entire professional career, basically. And like, we talk about what, you know, Frankie Montas is injury pro. Yeah, I mean, he was, I guess he was very good in 2021. I guess that's fair. He did get Cy Young votes. Um, but he has never really been able to sustain that in really any real sense. He's going to be 31. And it's shoulder stuff, too. So, yeah. Q for the B from Eli. Following the conversation about evaluating Jeremy Rodriguez from the DSL, can you give us a primer on how to evaluate players in the DR Academies? What other games are played outside of the DSL season? Instructs only behind closed doors. Yes. Yeah. Do teams have significant tech lab in the DR? Or do they fly players up to PSL to evaluate? Do all teams Yes there? and yes. Yeah, you can do both. Um, you know, you probably want... I, we suspect Jamie Rodriguez went to uh, domestic instructs. I could probably find a domestic instructs roster if I d- dug around. Um, so I, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll read all these questions and then go from there. How much stock should one put in DSL stat lines? Uh, almost none. Mets adjacent question. It's not none. It's not it's none. Okay. Not it's DSL not. triple slash. Do not. Yeah. What is up it's with not. the poor performance of recent top bonus players? Willie Fanyas, uh, Simon Juan, <laughs> Anthony Baptiste. I don't even know which one. Oh, Davis and Gutierrez. And how have you heard the Baptiste process? Baptiste was really good last year. Yeah. It's good. And how have you heard the processes of the DR Academy have changed under the new regime? So. There's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of questions there. There's a lot in there. So top bonus, I want to put a context around top bonus players. These players were given these, or given these contracts. They were, they made these agreements with these players, you know, years before they show up in the DSL. Players change a lot between 13, 14, and 16. Oh, yes, they do. Um, So you can find this all around... organized baseball teams other than the Mets the hit rate on seven figure bonus guys is not particularly high it's higher than you'd think given given the context right you know you can look at the the with the three best players in the DL DSL this year I think uh, I might be forgetting someone uh considering stats and underlying the three I think our three highest ranked DSL prospects are Rodriguez Starlin Caba and uh Alfredo Dino I might be yeah, I mean, that's somebody. only because Sebastian Walcott only played there for like sure, five Sure, sure, sure. That's fair enough. Um, and those were all significant bonus guys, right? But we're only a year removed. Marco Vargas got $17,500. No, it's not hard to find guys to get low six-figure bonuses and pop pretty quickly. So there is some, some fairly wide uh, variation here. Um, I haven't heard a ton on the changes in, obviously they brought in a new international, he's not their international scouting director, but he was the Brewers international scouting director. Although not recently. Although not recently. I I, I expect you will have to do with how the academy changes. You know, the Mets were kind of ahead of the curve there with going back to Manaya. It hasn't always paid dividends because their scouting and player dev hasn't always been great, but. 
um, they have they have invested heavily in the in the in the Dominican Academy. You know, going back fifteen twenty years now. But uh, as far as like tech lab stuff goes, so I said you can if you uh, if you are able to get DSL video, which you can. Very often some said people, DSL video. Some, some people can. Some people will have the TrackMan like literally like they all have yeah, TrackMan well. set. They all have TrackMan setups, right? Yeah. They have TrackMan setups everywhere at this point. You know, I was at when I was at Giants camp, uh, their minor league camp, which is separate from their major league camp, both in what was that February? It might have been March, late February, early March for the WBC, and then again when I went down during the uh, ACL season. They have they're set up with two, like two uh, baseball fields back to back, essentially or side to side. Um, yeah. They both have full track man, where they play games. You know they do their inner squad, they play games, whatever. Um, so yeah, and that's true of a lot in most of the Dominican facilities too. Uh, how much stock should one put in DSL stat lines? Again. Good performance is better than bad performance, but yeah, you never want to have bad performance. Yeah, you know, we're not really looking at the top line triple slashes per se. Yeah, you know, and that might flag a guy for us that we wouldn't have uh, otherwise. But you want again, you want the you want the TrackMan data basically. Um, yes. So again, it is as we talked about I think last week easier to in some ways it's easier to evaluate DSL players now for us than. Oh God! It's Florida, Arizona, look, complex leaf. Yeah, look, three years ago you couldn't even get track the video man, yeah, or yeah. the trackman yeah. or any of that stuff. Yeah. Right. You could find like grainy easy signing now. footage from YouTube or something, yeah, right? It's easy yeah, now. It's easy now. It's I just I get I pulled up a bunch of Stolen Combat bats when I was writing the Phillies list. Eduardo Tate, yeah. Yeah. Watch him in the field. Uh, you know, we yeah. discussed this obviously with Rodriguez last week as well. Watch oh, Aaron. You can watch the best of complex stuff too. That video's some too. some of them, yeah. It's I think it's a little bit easier to get the yeah. Get I mean, it depends on, it depends depends on, on like, yeah, who you kinda, know. And yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. How good your sourcing is, right? Yeah. It's just like anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So, but um, one one of the themes of my essay in the annual this year is that it is generally easier. Um, to get this information on our side just because it's not being kept quite as proprietary as it was uh, even three, four years ago. When I, one of the first Mets lists I did, or that we did at BP, was it the, was it the Andres Jimenez, Gregory Guerrero year? Yeah. I think it was. It was either that or Mauricio Adrian Hernandez. It was one of them. That sounds right. You know, I did a whole, whatever, 300-word mini-essay in the Mets list. Like, I suspect one of these, uh, not very deep Mets systems, like one of these guys is a top 10 prospect in the Mets system. I just have no idea to tell you which one it is. Now we do. We can tell you that Jeremy Rodriguez is a top 10 prospect in the Mets system, and Davison Gutierrez isn't, right? We can tell you that. Um, I'm still going to be less comfortable ranking these guys highly just because of the distance from the right. majors but quite understandable right you know i can i can very easily compare jeremy rodriguez to jacob reimer at this point 
which just wasn't, again, wasn't the case even a couple years ago, let alone 6-7. Give you the beat from Benjamin. 2024 is ideally a year to figure out what you need for 2025. You need to know if two of Beatty, Mauricio, Williams, Acuna can be your everyday second and third baseman. That also allows you to trade McNeil to Seattle for a pitcher. Well, we know exactly how the Seattle Mariners value Jeff McNeil, so it's a good, it's a good framework. What's like Gerson Bautista doing these days? You need to know if Williams or Gilbert can be your everyday center fielder, so Nemo is in left or right. And that's true. We're going to have Harrison Bader in the interim. And just sign Soto for 10 500 can one of Vassal, Scott, or someone else be your fifth starter? Who are you most bullish on from that group that can take the steps next year to be a 2025 regular? What is your ideal 2025 lineup and rotation? RIP 2024 Mets. Comes earlier every year. Uh, Again, uh, the Mets are not, you know. I know. This is a competitive team. Sure. Uh, they're going to they're be Vegas odds, Fangraphs odds, BP odds. A projected playoff team. 62% to make the playoffs or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, you know, the, I know this is not what the fan base wanted. I know everybody wanted guys, name Otani, guys, Soto, back Yamamoto, in the baseball yeah. cards. We don't have to do any projection. Mm-hmm. This is a good team they're putting together. Uh-huh. I would say, I'm trying to think like who of those names has like a second. Because like, obviously, Chet Williams took some sort of jump last year, right? Yes. Uh, Christian Scott obviously did. Acuna didn't really. Uh, Gilbert, it's muddled by the arm injury. But, you know, Vassal had a nice consolidation season. So I'm thinking, like, who has, like, a secondary jump here? I think I said this last week. I think it's Christian Scott. Okay. Like, I am Christian Scott-pilled now. He wasn't high enough. On our one on one. Yeah, I uh, I think he was just because he doesn't. He needs to throw like a hundred innings at some point. Uh, and he's had a lot of these like little minor injury. I got a late start to the season. He had a shoulder minor shoulder thing during the season after they stretched him out. I was fine after he came back, but just there's little stuff there where I want to see him actually. Uh, yeah, fair, fair. He hasn't really done it as a starter for that long at this point either. You know, he made 19 starts this year and threw 87 innings. Now, they were very, 107 strikeouts against 12 walks. Yeah. Not it's good. Uh, it's good. That's he good. was old for all those levels. But again, this Not is... that old for double A. He wasn't that old for double A. And I've... And, and, and this stuff does matter. Age relatively does matter. But... We also just can look at the pitch traits now and be like, oh, that's going to work. Yes. That's, the, that's, I think, again, something that we maybe didn't or were less able to do a few years ago, right? Yes. Where we kind of had to be like, okay, is he just... Because there are still guys that you know can do this and dominate with more pedestrian stuff that are just older and you know have feel for three pitches and can locate them well enough for double A. But we can look at Scott and be like, oh, that's 70 command now. Now, is it durable 70 command? Again, that's one of the things I need to I need to find out this year. So who are you highest on from that group of players? <sighs> Probably still Beatty, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you look like it's pure offensive upside yeah. for all these guys. It's still Beatty. Um, you know, even more so than Gilbert or Williams because he's just so physical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you're talking about 25 player. Yeah. 
you know, longest term it might be Williams, but I'm not sure Williams as a regular is really all the way there in 25. Right. Is he going to start? Like he's going to is he going to start in Binghamton? Probably. I think he did enough. In, yeah, I mean, he was probably yeah. there at the end of the season. Oh, that's right, care. he was. Yeah, they, he'll probably I don't think start gonna there. Step yeah. him backwards, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Right. Yeah. It's... It might be like a. F- Full year in double A, though. Like, he might have to make some adjustments or close to it, right? And then, right. And look, he's, very, he's very capable of just dominating that level for. Right. So he's capable of solidifying yeah. himself as a major league starter by the end of the season, but mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my ideal 2025. So I do think they're going to need to add, like, a. And they might just, like, sign Corbin Burns as another uh, top-of-the-rotation starter because they still kind of need a 2025 fill-in. Once, you know, because Quintana, one way or the other, is going to be a free agent. Um, if uh, Manaya is any good, he's going to not pick up that option. And if he's picking up that option, he's probably not really in your front in the front of your right, rotation I mean, for you 2025. Exact- yeah. Right, you can get the exact injury routine the outcome where he's yeah. like picking up the option and still projects as the fourth starter, yeah. but it's like not likely. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're gonna. I mean, the Pete Alonso question is the the big one, I think. There, and we're not gonna, and we're gonna talk about it a lot this season. But I'm right. There's gonna be to answer it yet. No. It's a yes. Right. There's gonna be one process story where. They talked to him in spring training and yes. said that they never had any serious extension discussions uh-huh. and please call my agent. Yes. And then there's going to be a... I'm just focusing on the season now. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a Scott Boris thing at the All-Star break where, yeah. yeah, where it's like, why haven't why haven't you come to an agreement with the Mets? And he's going to have some bad puns written out about mm-hmm. how they didn't, you know, they didn't... I don't even know what it's going to be. There's going to be puns. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, they're either going to sign him or they're not. Like, yeah. you know. Look, if the guy wanted to be here and wanted to extend, he would not have hired Scott Boris as his agent. Uh-huh. That's just, that's, it's a fact of life, folks. It's a yeah. fact of life. If he wanted to sign a hometown discount extension, he would not have hired Scott Boris as his agent. Now, you could argue the Mets should have been more aggressive trying to lock him up to an extension two years ago than they probably yes. were. So I, hiring Scott Boris as your agent 14 months out from free agency is a statement. Right. And look, he saw what, how that worked with Brandon Nemo, right? Yep. He's just right, yep. right, right there in front of him. <laughs> doesn't mean he's going to be gone. Nope. Yep. Doesn't mean. But he knows he what Brandon Nemo stay. got for a contract when he did yeah. that. So just means he's not signing a hometown discount contract. Yep. And, you know, if you start looking at this from a process perspective, does it actually make sense? Sign is a it thirty-year-old right, right right first baseman. Yeah. Is this just an emotional contract that you're going to sign because you're going to sign this contract? Yeah, probably. I mean, a lot is of that, that will be. It might be, but also a lot of this is going to, you know, see where the trend lines are from. Well, another season to see where the yeah. trend lines are from 2022 to 2024, right? Right. You can get a much better idea of what Pete Alonso is going to look like moving forward. Right. That's the goal, at least. Yeah. Cupidity from Willie. Should the Mets trade Kodai Senga? I feel like they can get an absurd haul no, for him God, now. No. Oh, God, no. The Facebook, I would say, it's been a few weeks now. I think everyone's calmed down. The Facebook group was uh, was going through so it during the Yamamoto stuff. 
Kodai Senga, because of his opt-out, has right, nowhere no trade near value. as much trade value. It's the David Wright problem, but even larger because it's multiple years. Yeah. Now, he still has a lot of trade value, right. but you're not getting... You know, the Brewers are not trading you Jackson Churio and Jefferson Cuero for Kodai Senga or right, anything right. of that nature. Like, you're getting a nice, normal trade haul back for him. Yes. He's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not... It's like, it's like 2 and 30 with the... Right. That's guaranteed without the opt-out. Yeah. Um, so you are going to do very well there, yes. Yes, you're going to do very well, but it's only two years of control. Yeah. There's teams that because of his command and control pro- profile like are not going to look at him as like a lock ace right. in the same and way I, that a I, I think, might. And I think that's like reasonable. Like I don't actually know. Like he was really good down the stretch, but he's always... And like his command did improve. Yeah. But he's always a guy that's, you know, he's going to have those four and two thirds, six walk starts. Like they're just going to happen the way he portrays them. You know, it's just how many of those does he have over the course of the season. You're going to do a, you're going to get a nice return for him. It's not going to be, you know, I don't, what's like the biggest the team could give up? It's not going to be Wyatt Langford and Evan Carter. Um, um, like who like like the uh, the Orioles could use this guy. Maybe you get like Kobe Mayo and Enrique Bradfield or something like that. Yeah, I might do that trade, but right. Um, the it's Mets gonna be like a top top. Maybe the top. This, this is another thing where if you're looking to build a free agent pipeline from NPB, yeah, you don't. Trade you can't a sign a guy to a nine-figure deal and then trade him a year later. The Red Sox are currently doing talking about doing this with Yoshida. Right. These players will actually stop signing with you. Also, though. like he's a really like you should just like you. The Kodai signing contract looks good. He's a good pitcher. Uh, you know, I don't. Maybe his ERA will be closer to three and a half and sub three next year, but. Man, uh, yeah, just, yeah, just... Th- you don't need to overthink this, I guess, is the you way to put it. You can just uh, pencil in Kodai Sanga every fifth day, uh, or sixth day, depending on what they want to do, arm health permitting. All right, Jarrett, we did it. We cleared out the inbox. Congratulations to wrestling us. Wrestling portion of the podcast? Uh, was there any? There's really nothing. Like well, Wrestle Kingdom. pay per view last week, the AEW one. Uh, Jared, I don't know. It was very late at night. We did review that with... Yeah, oh, yeah, we did. I forgot with, about with John that. Yeah, I forgot about that. We spent like an hour on it. Yeah, uh, I forgot about that. Five and, um, half and hour, five MJF minutes. appears to be gone for the time being. Yeah, they're doing their work shoot. They took um, the stuff down the from the Undisputed website. Kingdom. <laughs> Got another fraction. Mm-hmm. Another, another rip-off of the Undisputed Era from the... <laughs> Tony Khan has just been trying to recreate 2018 NXT for five straight years now. Yeah. And uh, with varying levels of success. Yeah, varying levels of success is a good way to put it. Did you all watch any Wrestle Kingdom? No, I was going to stay up. It's like a weird time zone. I was going to stay up and then yeah. New Japan I, New Japan World apparently wasn't working. There you go. And then I just went to bed. I'm like, I'll get around to watching Danielson Omega at some point, but it's not. Dennis and Okada. Dennis and Okada, sorry. Um, yeah. It's not particularly high on my priority. Like, it's... I don't know, it's just not particularly high on my priority list. Yeah. 
Did you watch the Rock's return segment with Jinder Mahal? I did not. I didn't even okay. watch the YouTube clip. I saw like some gifts and things, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't even track it out on YouTube. Very long. Yeah, as, I just as we <laughs> mentioned at the top, um, they're certainly doing Rock versus Roman Reigns somewhere. Yeah. You know, obviously, you would expect that to be at WrestleMania in Philadelphia in three months. You would think. So here's an interesting question. That's already baked in, right? I don't know how ticket sales are, but that's like already baked in. Yeah. Do I need to go to this show if it's The Rock versus Roman Reigns? Buddy, you you live your life how you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do here. (laughs) I know, but like... uh... So it's not the 27-hour-long WrestleMania is like I used to go to. It's now a two-night extravaganza. Mm -hmm. Um... I don't know. I mean, those tickets are going to be very expensive on the secondary right. especially, market, I think. Especially whatever night they're, they're going to announce what night the Rock. Just, I assume it's going to be night two. I would assume. Yes. I know how yeah. wrestling goes here. I don't, look, is that a big match to you? <sighs> I don't know. Like The Rock really... Yeah. When was when was Rock Cena 2? Was that 2010? I think that was... 12? 12? I know it's like, but it's been, it's been over like a, it's been like a decade since he yeah. wrestled a match. Yeah, and he was. Yeah. I was at his last official match with uh, Eric Rowan in Dallas. Uh, yeah. Eight he seconds. is 51 years old. Yeah. He has not really he been looked, a full time wrestler in close to 20 years now. He looks very well. In yeah, the, uh, I mean, I'm sure. As he frequently has throughout his career. He looked yeah. very well. I mean, look, it's going to be a talking, walk and brawl story match. He can do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're gonna that, get, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get, you know, this is going to be a Roman Reigns talking match. Yeah, this which is, he can do. That's yeah. fine. Um, but that's just not interesting to me, basically. Like, it's not. I assume you'll watch it if it happens, right? Maybe. Like, the really you're that the like it just doesn't feel like a big match like i'm just not into the bloodline stuff because i've been watching it and i'm also just not into the bloodline stuff interesting like i just look roman reigns is what he is he's i've never thought he was a particular roman reigns is a wrestling observer hall of fame we're not just keep (laughs) save that one for brady and we have brady on to discuss his ballot and then i will just spend 15 minutes making a cocktail um i just again i don't know what this and uh, jonathan's made this point right it's the second level cafe b this is like all this is is second level cafe b yeah yeah i I get what you mean there it's it's interesting it just doesn't like i don't know i'd be strangely more interested in austin punk from like a spectacle standpoint Really? I think that's so, a, yeah. That's a really interesting... Because uh, that match could happen. It could. I, I could so I think the idea is just, happen. I'm not... And this has really been true. It's probably when I fell out with WWE in, like, post-college. It's been, like, 2006 or so. And look, I watched it in some of the mid-2010s. You know, yeah, I wasn't we watching to, the regular we TV, TV. We watched some pay-per-views. Like we I had the network, so yeah, I watched those. And we've we talked about to, them. Went to a couple NXT takeovers. Yeah, and I watched a fair bit of the NXT product then. Uh, too. The one that Tony's been trying to recreate. No, before that, more like the 
Zane Johnny Pac, Gargano. Zane, Zane Pac. I mean, we went to some of the Gargano shows. But I didn't really like. like it once the Gargano Champa stuff started, I was mostly yeah. out on the product. Gargano anyway. Champa is like Tony Khan's like ideal wrestling. Yeah, it's not great. Just, yeah. Um, that's a Dragon Gate USA fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just leave that there. Um, I just yeah, it's. I'm just like this is. Very much like meta-textual WWE stuff, which a lot of it is now. It's just not interesting to me. It hasn't been for... Again, I, I think Jonathan made this point well. This is not really a wrestling company anymore. No, it's a... It's Disney or... Yeah, you know, it is. It's actually the Marvel Universe. I mean, they've talked about that, like, years ago, too. They wanted to create that. Right. The, yeah, again, the Marvel yeah, Cinematic... The WWE Cinematic Universe. I mean, it's... The Bloodline Cinematic Universe. I mean, it's mostly... You know, it's not... They're not doing, like, movies, but they were kind of doing, like, movies. Uh, less so now, you know, post-pandemic, but... Yeah, it's just not a... Everything I see... And again, it's, like, clips that people post in the Discord or whatever, for the most part, at this point. But it just doesn't... Like, they signed Julia this week, and they're going to send her to NXT. Yeah. It's just like, uh... what? What are you doing? one of like the three or four best women workers in the world yeah and like it's very like they just very capable of coming up and having like four and a half plus star matches with yeah, like Io Shirai and stuff they sent, they sent no, I know, yeah, yeah but they did the same thing with Eel they sent her to NXT and now she's a product of NXT and yeah, yeah on their investor calls they can talk about how you know all of the champions went through NXT. They do the, you know, it's the same thing. They do the same thing with Becky Lynch, who is obviously a prominent indie uh, wrestler, women's yeah. independent star. Um, you know, it's their sure, products of NXT. Was, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They call Finn Balor product of NXT. Yeah, they do. Was was like New, Japan, New Japan junior heavyweight yeah. champion. Yeah. yeah. Main event, main event guy around They're not the going to sign Okada NXT. now, but it will be hilarious if they signed Okada and sent him to NXT to make him a product of NXT. <laughs> Shinsuke Nakamura, product of NXT, former yeah, NXT yeah, champion. Yeah, Samoa Joe, yeah. yeah, there you go. That's a, yeah, Kevin Nakamura Owens, yeah. Sami Zayn, yeah, they're on there. Uh, Gargano, Ciampa, all of them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's um, like wrestle. Part of it's a two night thing. Part of it's just how just WrestleMania does not feel like a big deal anymore. It's interesting that you say that because I know it's as it's as base value watched. ticket. Face value ticket prices to this or like Taylor Swift concert. No, I know. Yeah. yeah. Like they're like, they're going to do like a $35 million date between these two yes. guys. No, I know. Yeah. And it's, it's become, I mean, they've done a very good job again, marketing it as a, you know, a hardcore wrestling fan vacation. Yes. Right. Yes. Although it weirdly is. the color events this year are just, yeah not appealing to me obviously i live with a driving distance in philadelphia right um, John. so when this was announced way back when i'm thinking all right i'm gonna go to some collective stuff yeah. i'm gonna go to wrestlecon i don't you know part of this is just the dissolution of the high level indie scene which right. is really a runoff of aw's yes existence. but like gcw has just been dead for a while mm-hmm 
Um, and they're running like a very like they're running a catering hall in Penn's Landing, which is not super close <laughs> to any of the other stuff that's happening. And yeah. also, it's a catering hall. <laughs> um, I think WrestleCon's got the got the ECW arena. Mm-hmm. ECW arena is kind of close to the other stuff. Yeah, but it's like, like you. How many times have you been to the arena? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> 20, it's like a dozen. 20-ish? A yeah, thousand, yeah. yeah, somewhere in there. It's not the easiest place in the world to get in and out of. No, it's, it's not. Right. It's not awful, but it's, it's literally right. just like a... It's not even a strip mall, but it's like there's like a... I don't know if it's still a shoe outlet store uh, uh, next door. That's what the but, last time I was there was. Okay. It's not a great neighborhood. It's not, yeah, I mean, the, not it's a, fine. It's not, not bad. Parking there's around. not a ton of parking around, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's, I've it's, never had any issues there. My car's little, never gotten broken into. Whatever. Right. It's, it's a little out of the way. It's, it's very not, like industrial park. Yes. So the best re- I've I've went to half a dozen WrestleMania weekends. Right. Mm-hmm. So the best WrestleMania weekend, everything is either right next to each other, um, which basically was in Orlando except for the yeah. actual. Mania venue. The yeah. Mania venue doesn't actually need to be right next. Right. To yeah, it doesn't matter. But like all of the other stuff, you know, Dallas was kind of like that too, where a lot of the stuff was very concentrated. Um, or there's got to be really good public transportation between everything, which the New York and Jersey one. Right. Was. Yeah. Be fine. Um, not everything was right next to each other. But like but, getting from like, right, not getting not, from MSG to White right. Eagle Hall or whatever was annoying, but not. Right, it was it was a five minute walk, a twenty minute mass transit ride, and a five minute walk. Yeah, um, it was not a big deal at all. Um, Philadelphia, yeah, there's no I... mass transit in Philadelphia that goes from Penn's Landing Catering Hall to the ECW <laughs> Arena in South yeah. Alabama. Even yeah. though those are not actually that far from each other, point to point. Sure. So now all of a sudden you're talking about. And there's just like, you know, I Philadelphia is a very walkable city, but not in the areas where any of the wrestling stuff is. Well, yes, yeah. Right. Yes. These are not these are not happening in Center City. They're not mm, happening no. at the convention center. They're not happening um, in that area. Um, that would have been fun. That would those would there's some fun venues there. Sure. For that stuff. I um, assume they're pretty expensive too, relatively yeah, speaking, I assume compared to locked both a lot of them out. Yeah, they, I'm sure. Yes. This type of thing for years, but you know, so just from like a perspective of, okay, this is happening, um, essentially in between my wedding and my honeymoon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to burn? two three days of vacation time the political capital (laughs) of spending four days at wrestling shows um because that's the other thing too if you're gonna do it you're probably gonna want to do like two or three shows in the day right you're gonna want to do two or three shows in the day you're gonna want to make everything you know work together it's tiring it is at that at that point do i stay out there do i drive back and forth Mm -hmm. you know where do you stay if it's in a singular centralized location where right. it's like a destination weekend, it makes right. it a lot easier to do that. I but, mean, the, the, so. one of the other differences too, which I think is uh, becoming uh, fairly significant for us, is when we were doing this six or seven years ago, we were both still in our thirties. <laughs> yeah, I turned forty in two weeks, <laughs> and yes, I went from it's being a... single. I went from being single in thirty-one to <laughs> I will be married in forty by the time yeah. that happens. 
Uh, yeah, of course that's a difference, but yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's always a difference. It's a lot more fun to be like a 37-year-old pro wrestling fan with disposable income to finally do these things than it is. Right, and, yeah. and there's people out there that mm-hmm. are of that type. You know, we had this conversation. I did not go to the World's End show, you know. Mm-hmm. When AEW started, I was taking plane flights to every single yeah. AEW show, and now there's... Uh, fairly big pay-per-view that end up having a world title change mm-hmm. hour 45 two hour drive and like i very lightly thought about it the weekend it was happening but it was like it's not a great card and it didn't turn out to be a great card right like, relatively speaking like, for them okay am i gonna go to the show like one of my friends is going most of my friends, even from the, even my tri-state area wrestling friends, yeah. even, you know, um, people on Long Island. Mm-hmm. I have wrestling fan friends that are on Long Island, some of which are, like, Dave and Rich have been on the show previously. Yeah, yeah. You know, have went to AEW shows um, that I've seen at AEW shows. I didn't get a text from Rich saying, hey, do you want to go to World's End? Yeah. I didn't send Rich a text that said, hey, did you want to go to World's End either? So, you know, um, how much of that do you think is us versus how much of that do you think is wrestling? Because it feels to me like wrestling kind of sucks right now. I think it's 25% us, 75% the product. Yeah. And it's like all of the products, too. Yeah, it is. Like, there's just, like, there's nothing here for me. Yeah. And that's, uh, like, even New Japan. Like, I was... I still have a New Japan World subscription. I usually, you know, spend a couple hours a month. I'll just, like, flip some shit on. Part of it's inertia. It's, like, six bucks a month because the yeah, yeah. version rate's gotten so bad. Right. And it's just, like, nice it's one to of the have. I may finally just do Dragon Gate. Uh, right. I've been talking about it for years. I may finally just but at the, at bite the, same, the bullet on it. At the same time, it's just, like, all right. Well, like, most of my favorite wrestlers are either gone or like 112 years old now yeah. like i look at this sonata versus naito like yeah there's an okada danielson match that i'm gonna watch too at some point mm. I'm just, i'll probably watch the osprey moxley sure. match but like again at the at the risk of you know my favorite in-ring performer that is left in new japan by a wide margin is will osprey Do you know it's not gonna be in new japan in a month yeah like, what's left with that? Great, so I'm going to watch David Finley versus Dolph Ziggler. Oh, yeah, we should mention Dolph Ziggler is now... Yeah, uh... the, the, they're, big, they're big signings for 2024. Dolph Ziggler and Matt Riddle. Mm. There's a... Well, they added Sobriano Jr., who's actually probably the best of the three yeah, by far. Yeah, but yeah. No, yeah, I know, yeah. Dolph Ziggler and Matt Riddle. Yeah, like... How old is Dolph Ziggler? 40? 42? 40-something, early 40s, yeah. He's our age. When, when's the last great Dolph Ziggler match you've seen? Have you ever seen a <laughs> Ziggler match? Dolph Ziggler He's to like me. one of these guys that like has this great reputation as an incredible worker. Yeah, but he's like a lot of like gentlemen's three and a half, four stars, right? Right. Yeah. Fucking... We and they're like less interesting that. matches than like the Cody Rhodes version of that match. is usually, usually like kind of weird and interesting. That that Andrade Miro match got four stars. <laughs> I saw that. Year. Yes. Well, you sent four it to me, so that's how stars. I saw it. Four. 
one of the worst matches I can remember on an American page. That was the point at which I'm just like, do I just hate what wrestling is now? Maybe. If that's supposed to be good. So if you're Dave Meltzer, like, you're putting that, like, on the level of, like, most of the great WWE matches from, like, the 90s and the 2000s. He also gave four stars. Mid-card Miro versus Andrade in a chinlock fest. I was going to say, this wasn't even, like, a sloppy, very athletic match or something. This was... Just, like, a match that they had because they had to have a match before yes. leaving. Just Andrade's, Andrade doing the job on the way out. Mm-hmm. Just the match that Andrade's doing the job on the way out. Like, I don't know. I'm curious. I know we have people, and obviously we have, we've had John on the podcast a few times. Um, I know we have listeners that probably actually still like the WWE and AEW products. I'm really curious for, for anybody, if you want to send us an email, like, what are we missing? I think, I think that's fair, right? right like, that's fair, what sure. What are we missing? It's not like I still don't check in on AEW or didn't enjoy yeah, matches on World's fair. End, right? But I'm not the dedicated right, right. Wednesday Night Watcher. Again, just the idea that as recently as 2021, I was flying out to see pay-per-view shows, mm-hmm. and then two years later, the, the last pay-per-view I did fly out for was Omega and Hangman. Yeah. But I went to shows since. I went to Full Gear mm-hmm. uh, in uh, 22, where MJF won the title. I went to the uh, to the big dynamite, I think it was the lyrics coming, mm-hmm. maybe that's was it. The uh, the hour long hangman Danielson match. Right. Um. And, and just the idea. There's a pay per view. Sixty five driving miles away, and I thought about going for like five minutes. Yeah. From a company that usually, and this wasn't an example of this, but even when they were cold, were delivering on all their big shows. Yes. Yeah. This was not. Yeah that no it wasn't yeah i just i don't i don't know it's it's like weird to like have this relationship with professional wrestling this is i mean it it has over the years ebbed and flowed for both of us but this does feel about as i have never watched the last time i watched this little professional wrestling i was five years old probably (laughs) yeah like that that's how that's like i don't think that's an overstatement Mm -hmm. Like what's that? What am I supposed to be watching? Right, there you go. it's New Japan. It's the indie scene. It's like I was into AAA for. A, I know I was into AAA for a while, and AAA is a mess right now, even by AAA standards. Yeah, like yeah, great. So I'm gonna watch. CML is supposedly really yeah. good, yeah, but also like impossible to watch. <laughs> right, like yeah, there's like an easy look. You know, like I made this point on the. I think I did. I may have. Um, not been coherent at all times during the <laughs> podcast with John, which um, it's a different problem. Um, you know, there's a, I work, um, you know, 45, 50 hours a week in my regular job. I yeah, have prospect list season. I have a non insignificant commute. I usually am driving for, you know, 50 minutes an hour a day, uh, if you count both ways. Um, I have a fiance, I have a dog. Um, my fiance, Used to be the head TV writer for a major national outlet. 
Um, so there's TV we want to watch. Um, we just finished the final season of Succession uh, just last night. So, um, you know, only eight months behind the times on, you know, the most popular show on television. Um, but, like, there's, like, a finite... Let's say I have 12 hours a week. Right, that's kind um, of sure. I'm just, like... Chilling, chilling time, time, yeah. Of TV time, yeah. Uh, non-sports TV time. That's a lot lower during baseball season, right? For the record, but I'm not counting like NFL on Sundays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that also counts if I want to play any video games. Uh-huh. And a lot of that time is with Kate around. Yeah. Um, and Kate doesn't hate professional wrestling, but doesn't love it. She watched some of the World's End show with me. Um. So I can either watch, I think we're going to do Parks and Rec yet. Kate's, Kate's somehow never seen Parks and Rec. I have yeah, no idea. Really? She, wow. She's loved every other Michael Shore show. Yeah. Um, never seen Parks and Rec. First I, season's I, rough. You need to skip the first season. but whatever. She's a completionist. We'll do that. Yeah, that's fine. It's only like so six I episodes can, anyway. I can either, on Wednesday night, I can spend two hours watching Dynamite, um, where my fiance is either going to be extremely bored. Or, or in another like, room, yeah. Yeah. Or we can watch Parks and Rec. Yeah. Or we can watch Secession. Or we can watch, um, you know, we, we do have some overlap on current shows. The Diplomat on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Great show. That, one of the best shows of 2020. Strong recommendation if you're still somehow listening to the show <laughs> and interested in prestige dramas. The Diplomat, one of, one of the best shows I've seen in recent memory. Mm. Um, just great premise. Kerry Russell's probably my favorite actress working um just great show. um had 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 nice west wing vibes too um you know we can watch old episodes of the west wing we can watch <laughs> we're watching party down mm-hmm. etc um or i can watch wrestling oh, look aew has been embarrassing in a lot of ways recently like leave the room embarrassing mm-hmm. like embarrassed to go like why am i watching this like what's 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 going on here it's just it's a like if you want me to be really into that you have to present a really compelling product at this point but i guess that's also made as casuals and i think that's just we're different points in our life yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah, send us an email if yeah. you got on that one. We are we are still, however, in the point of our lives where we just do two hour podcasts with nothing to talk about. Yeah, for so, absolutely no reason. So having completed <laughs> that uh, for our twelve hour two of our twelve hours of chilling time this week. Ah, we'll see you next week. Count. This counts, it's work, yeah. For another edition. Up for all you kids out there. <laughs>